Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of November 2021, and is once again that special time of the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad uh, from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? It's going great. Glad to be back and ready to talk about some Blu-rays. It's going to be a fun time. Oh, yeah. Very, very excited for this one. Uh, so uh, something that we had started uh, a few months back uh, via our Tales from the Shelf uh, show format was uh, at some point we ran out of good ideas uh, for episode formats for the show. <laughs> uh, so we decided, huh, maybe we should try some of that alphabetical shit. Uh, so, a while back, we did an episode entitled All the A's, uh, and the general premise of the show is basically we uh, peruse our respective movie collections, that would be our DVDs, our Blu-rays, and our 4K discs, and uh, just share some war stories, share a few things, a few thoughts about the movies in our collections. Uh, so, in following that theme of All the A's, I think it's only fair that... You know, it took a few months to get around to it, but let's uh, let's get down, get down to exploring a basket of bees or a bucket <laughs> of bees, something full of bees that involves a bee, <laughs> because uh, alliteration is not something I practice very often in my daily life, but for whatever reason, that's what we do on the show. Yeah. I mean, my name starts with a B, Blu-ray, B. I mean, bees are all over the place. I'm hyped for this one. It's funny, whenever I think of bees, uh, two movies come to mind, Brad. Well, no, three. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you the same. Like, what movies come to mind when you think of uh, of bees in Oh, cinema? like the letter B, not like actual bees. I mean, for me, it's like impossible not to think of both at the same time. So in <laughs> okay. this case, you're going to get literal bees. But the first one that comes to mind is Tommy Boy, uh, wherein Chris Farley demonstrates the uh, technique for avoiding getting a DUI. Uh, basically, yep. uh, you drive recklessly, crash into whatever nearby, like, soft objects are nearby, uh, then you kick open the door, start whacking yourself over the head, screaming, Bees! Bees! My God! Millions of bees! <laughs> <laughs> They're ripping my flesh! <laughs> and then if you're lucky, uh, the cop, one of the cops, if not all the cops uh, that are trying to pull you over, uh, will have a severe allergy and will just drive away and abandon you. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it's worth a shot. I mean, I've never I've never done it. I've only actually been pulled over once, so maybe next time. Yeah, most of my encounters with cops have been, uh, well, on the road anyway, have been after I, my car broke down, and they were just, like, checking, like, are you dead? <laughs> it's like, no, sir, I'm not. And it's like, oh, well, I'm not going to do anything to help you, but I'm going to leave you alone. Good night. <laughs> it's like, okay. Way yeah. to go. <laughs> you should have uh, been like, ah, oh, my, my car's broken down. And then he'll be like, oh, sorry, I, I can't help you. And be like, ah, oh, there's bees. You got to call a tow truck. <laughs> call. They can deal with the bees. I mean, yeah, maybe that would have put some hustle on them. Just like the knowledge that not only is this man's car broken down, uh, he's being assaulted by bees that for some <laughs> reason uh, won't leave his car. <laughs> it's like, does he have like a, a bunch of bees nests like just in his trunk or something? Like, what the fuck is this guy's deal? <laughs> it's like, either way, it warrants a response, which is, again, more, more than I usually got uh, in those circumstances. But the other movie that comes to mind is The Good Son, all right. No, not the good son. Uh, it's the other Macaulay Culkin movie, where it's a it's like a youth a youth romance film, 
and it's like him oh, and this girl. Um, my my girl, right? My girl, my girl, yeah. And yeah, that's literally the only thing I remember from that movie is that Macaulay Culkin eats shit via bee stings at the end. <laughs> Spoilers <laughs> for, for my girl. <laughs> no, it's uh, I I think I saw that movie a long time ago when I was younger, so that's uh, that's fair game. But yeah, that's a good one. I didn't think about that. Um, obviously, B movie, the Jerry Seinfeld classic. Can't go wrong there. Um, I don't know. I don't even know if I should mention the obvious one. I mean, just please, by all means. Oh, uh, the the Wicker Man, of course, the Nick Cage classic. Yeah, no. Uh, Brad and I had talked before we even started recording that, like, in discussing the potential titles for this episode, it's like, well, we. I mean, we got to use a picture of Nick Cage screaming about bees <laughs> uh, to promote the damn thing. So look forward to that. Uh, well, I mean, that'll probably be posted before this, but anyway. Oh, how, uh, how do we forget Candyman? <laughs> Come on. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually have been meaning to, I mean, not only check out the new one, but also revisit the original. Because mm-hmm. I, I do remember thinking, uh, did uh, Clive Barker actually direct that, or was he just like the creative lead behind the original? I don't think he directed it. Okay, well, either way, he was involved, and he has some interesting creative sensibilities when it comes to how he approaches his horror and whatnot. Um, and I, I remember that first Candyman, the original Candyman, uh, being being pretty solid. Like, in particular, what struck me about it was, like, the neighborhood itself, like the tenement building that most of the action takes place in is probably far and away the scarier part of the story than the Candyman himself. Yeah. And I think that was a very conscious decision on the part of the production. Um, but yeah, that's, I'd, I'd like to check out that new one because the, it looked, it looked kind of like distractingly art, art, art housey <laughs> um, to some degree. Like I wasn't expecting shadow puppets in my, in my uh, Candyman. Uh, but you know, that, that was purely what I got from the promotion for it. But from a purely like visual standpoint, uh, the shots that they used for the trailer actually look pretty pretty snazzy, uh, so I'm curious to see if it's any good. You ended up reviewing that for uh, for your podcast, the Cinema Speak podcast, correct? Yeah, I don't know if we gave it a full review. I definitely saw it and talked about it, but um, yeah, it was okay. Like it looked good. It had a few striking sequences, but it was a little messy. Like it, it just didn't didn't click or come together fully for some reason for me. But it's 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 worth checking out for sure. I mean, I'm. That's the vibe I get from from the uh, the zeitgeist or the lack thereof. Honestly, is um, nobody really talked about it after it came out. Like the the hype was big for it, um, even with the delays and whatnot. But then as soon as it came out, it's like, huh. Weirdly enough, there don't seem to be very many critics like openly talking about this movie. So it, I would imagine, maybe it didn't make it didn't overly impress. Yeah, well, it is out on 4K this week, so you can. Uh check it out and some quality content there okay well i'd like to get to that unfortunately um on our on this week's episode of uh, catching up on cinema i did disclose that i bought a a, a bag full of shit yeah that's right. uh, <laughs> a bag full of like two to three dollar movies that uh i'll have to plow through at some point so i'll probably have to do that before i can move on to the candy man but <clears throat> anyway uh brad let's say we uh dig into our bucket slash basket of bees um and so i'm gonna do my my hosting duty here and uh, throw you under the bus and uh have you uh give us our first movie uh for our for our current tales from the shelf discussion yeah all right well um you know we were kind of talking and i said you know there's a lot of uh bees in my collection 
not great. I didn't like feel like I could talk about them that much. But I, I got a decent selection here. We'll see how it goes. I'll start with this one, which I think is an underrated movie. I um, feel like not a lot of people saw it. And uh, part of the reason is because it did kind of get buried when it came out. And that is uh, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. Field? Barry Sonnenfeld. Uh, Big Trouble. Which I saw this movie a bunch. I think it was like on Comedy Central all the time in like the mid to late 2000s and I really like this movie it, I think it's a ton of fun I think the cast I mean this is a huge cast I mean um, Tim Allen Renee Russo uh, let's see you've got Stanley Tucci uh, uh, the my name is Earl guy <laughs> Andy Richter <laughs> Sophia Vergara Omar Epps Jereen Garofalo Patrick Warburton Dennis Farina I mean Johnny Knoxville Tom Sizemore the list goes on the list goes on and on I mean, that's pretty much it. Ben Foster. But, um, and it's uh, obviously, I think this movie was supposed to come out in 2001, and it does have a plot involving a bomb on a plane. So, unfortunately, I, uh, from what I understand, it was buried. It got a quiet release in 2002. So, that might be part of the reason why it never caught on. But, I don't know. It's it's fun. It, uh, you know, big cast of characters and a bunch of stories that are kind of, uh, one of those movies where a bunch of separate characters to start and they sort of get uh, mixed up together uh, as the film goes on. And uh, it's not like a hilarious film. Like I don't really watch it and like, I'm not sitting there and just, ah, (laughs) but um, it certainly is just very entertaining. Uh, I think the direction is pretty solid. It moves at a a great pace and it's one that I'm, I'm always interested in going back to just because it is an easy watch and it's very, it's fun. It's just fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, big trouble put out, uh, through Kino, uh, the Blu-ray doesn't look that good and there's only an audio commentary. So a little light, but, uh, glad to just have it on disc and, uh, yeah, it's definitely a fun one. Yeah. I, I know I've seen it, but for whatever reason, I, I can't remember it. And that may be because like, just based on the cover and the construction of that ensemble cast and the fact that it's a caper, like my wires get crossed because I'm thinking of get shorty and be cool and big trouble, like all kind of in the same vein. So like, I, I know for a fact I've seen it, but all my memories of those movies are kind of intertwined and it's difficult for me to create separation there. But Man, big big cast of really likable people in there, though. Damn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them before they were, you know, names. Like, Zoe Deschanel, I think she was, like... I mean, she's playing, like, a high schooler in this, I think. But I, she was probably in her early 20s or whatever. But, uh, you know, early Ben Foster role. Like, you know, a lot of people a lot of people who were kind of on the the down. Like, I feel like Tim, Tim Allen was just got, starting to descend from his heights of stardom. And then you got a lot of people on the up. So you got an interesting, uh, interesting mix of people in there. Yeah, and Barry Sonnenfeld, for the most part, is no slouch. Like he he does have some ups and downs in his career, but some of his ups are, are pretty far up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. As far as I know, he his like similar to the, some of the actors you named there. There was like a cutoff date where his relevancy started to wane, and it was probably starting around the early two thousands. Um, but he has given us some very solid films uh, prior to that. But it's funny. It's funny you mentioned Patrick Warburton is in the cast there. Um, I was uh, I was talking about him and Tim Allen last night with my girlfriend because uh, uh, 
I had to confess that there was a Tim Allen movie out there that for whatever reason I have seen an obscene number of times. And it's not Big Trouble. Um, mm. It is Joe Somebody. Oh, um, okay. I've seen that once. I've I don't, a number I don't of times. Know I don't know why I've seen it so many times. I just have. But uh, what I was explaining to her was the, the novelty behind having both Tim Allen and Patrick Warburton in the same film. Not only that, but like coming to blows with each other. Uh, because in terms of like their careers as voice actors and their relationship to the Disney Corporation, they've both played Buzz Lightyear at one time or another. So it's like the battle of the buzzes. It's yeah, like the movie cool. buzz yeah. versus the TV buzz. And it's like, I, I got my money on putty, man. Like, <laughs> hey, Paul, right here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> High five. <laughs> like, like, all my money's going on Warburton, but... I've always really liked him. He's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. I, I I do like Tim Allen. I mean, I'll just throw it out there. I mean, I know he's a rat, but uh, yeah, <laughs> but I do like him quite a bit in his movies and uh, his shows. I I I used to love Home Improvement. I think. I mean, I think he's a really just likable comedic. Like he's not like, you know. Again, I'm not watching him and just like thinking, man, this guy, his jokes, his gags are amazing. But he's just he's very likable, very charismatic, and sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. Uh? <laughs> genius um, genius I, I mean it's it's simple it's it's as simple as it gets and yet somehow it still makes me giggle a little bit but yeah i mean i i'm not sure if i'd call myself a tim allen fan uh i've watched a lot of his movies um home improvement is a funny one though because like i i came to this realization at the dinner table with my family like within the past year or so where i had to like realize that like you know, I don't think wholesomeness was, like, okay in my house. Because, like, all the family television and stuff, like, it, it just never got played, ever. Mm-hmm. Like, none of the TGIF stuff, home improvement, anything with a, with a, oh, on the, on, like, the, on the laugh track. Like, a, any sitcom that had, like, a tender moment or something. It's like, no, we never watched any of that shit. It's like, home improvement, I, I think I didn't really even really watch it till I was, like, in college and watching, like, afternoon tbs programming and stuff yeah. like becker <laughs> fucking <laughs> becker and guest year <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean i definitely so you were you watch more like uh seinfeld is that kind of more the sitcom a lot of, yeah. frazier was a really big hit frazier, with my parents yeah, yeah especially because i'm born and raised in seattle so like having a sitcom that takes place in your backyard is not something every every place gets to enjoy um, but yeah, Frasier was a big hit. Seinfeld absolutely was a huge hit. Friends, not so much. Um, but yeah. then again, that that's, you know, that's representative of like my, my parents' age. Like, I don't think they gave a shit about young people fucking in the city. <laughs> <laughs> and by the time I was old, like by the time I was old enough to be interested in such things, it was like in syndication playing like all night, every night. And so I, I caught a few episodes here and there, but it, it wasn't my show, but uh, Big Trouble is one that I'll have to come back to because, like I said, there there are a lot of good components featured in that, such that it's hard for me to think of it as, like being dull. It's like at the very least, it'll have it'll have energy to it. It'll mm-hmm. keep you entertained. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I'll have to check that one out. I'll have to see if it's like available on like a streaming service that I I, I might have at the moment. Yeah, a little bit of some you know light Tarantino influences there. It's either the crime elements and. Uh... You know, some of the dialogue maybe trying to be a little, little too clever at times, but I, I think it works for the most part. I think it's, it's just, you know, it's a fun film. Okay, well, it's a solid B to start us off. Uh, so, 
I guess the ball is to me. Uh, so I'll start things off with a movie that I don't know if it was buried. Uh, like you said, Big Trouble had been man that uh, that delay for having a uh, a a bomb on a plane subplot uh, probably cost that one some some publicity. But yeah. I don't know if this movie was buried. However, I do think it's uh, probably underseen, um, and that's largely coming down to lack of marketing and um, lack of marketability. Uh, that would be um, Bushwick, oh, uh, starring I, Dave oh, Bautista. Oh, is this? Uh, maybe I'm thinking of something else. Is this? Was this a Netflix movie, or who directed this? Uh, let me check because I actually don't know off the top of my head. It's directed by Carrie Murnian. And Jonathan Malott. Those are my boys. Those are my boys who uh, they reached out to me on Twitter. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What they was the direct, occasion? They directed uh, Becky, which we did for our 200th episode. And uh, I, I don't think I tagged them. I think I just hashtagged Becky on Instagram. And one of them, I can't remember which one, listened to our episode and uh, had a few comments on it. And um, it was, it was kind of cool. And I've been meaning to check this one out because I commented back. I was like, hey. Thanks for the movie. We had fun with it. I can't wait to check out all your other movies, um, and I haven't gotten around to this one. So tell me, am I missing out on this? Well, I, I, I'm blown away. <laughs> I, I had no, I had no idea uh, that these these fellows had directed Becky because mm-hmm. I, I of course listened to that episode, and I I haven't watched the movie myself. I haven't seen Becky, um, but off the strength of that that episode, I can tell you right now, it sounds like I would have fun with it. (laughs) And I most certainly enjoyed this film, Bushwick, uh, which I believe may be uh, their first film, if not one of their very early films. Um, But this is a a very ambitious piece of filmmaking. Um, I forget what year exactly it came out. Uh, If I had to guess, like 2016, 2017, around there. Um, Yeah, 2016. Um, but this uh, this story concerns uh, a American insurgency, uh, basically some like militia groups in the American South uh, make make an armed intrusion uh, into the northern regions, <clears throat> and the opening shots of the movie see uh, helicopters uh, landing in the streets of New York. Uh, Bushwick is the name of name of a neighborhood uh, in New York, as far as I understand. Um, and basically, uh, the film turns into like a moment to moment kind of uh, survival experience for just some random people caught in the crossfire during during this American like outbreak of civil war, essentially. Um, and it's a it's a really ambitious piece of filmmaking. Uh, the first 10 to 15 minutes, I believe, are shot to appear as if it's a single take. I mean, there there are there is evidence like apparent that like oh there's a cut oh there's a cut um but it never detracts from the experience and just the the staging of the action given the resources they had at their disposal you can tell this was shot on a budget for sure um but the staging of the action doesn't suffer for it at all um the editing is superb um when when there are edits um because a lot of these shots are done in very very long takes um, but yeah, the intensity level is kept very high throughout the entire experience. Sound design is very, very solid. There's a lot of ambient sound work going on pretty much whenever we're uh, patrolling the streets or trying to like flee the scene scene of violence and whatnot. And Batista gives a really nuanced performance. Like his his introduction in the film, it's it's 
it's almost like w- watching candid footage of like a bear attack or something because <laughs> like the camera's positioned very low and just this like massive shadow charges into the room and you don't even really get a good idea like you don't get a good look at what's happening but it's like that's a very large man just manhandling two very small men and, the, <laughs> and like i made kind of a gag out of talking about that portion of the film though because like he is completely out of breath like he is totally gassed after i mean he straight up murders two dudes with his bare hands in front of a like i think she's college aged girl and she's like freaking the fuck out but he's just going <laughs> for like the next 10 minutes of the movie and it gets a little bit obnoxious but thankfully like he gets injured and then uh when they patch him up um i think is when we get our opening title and we get our first explicit cut in the action mm. but until then it's just like I'm, so much happens where it's like we follow this young girl from a subway we get to see her boyfriend get immolated with like a molotov cocktail um she like runs away from gunfire and just like ducks into a uh the basement of an apartment building and then meets fucking drax the destroyer <laughs> and then they, i think they go to like a school or something and then like before you know it 10 15 minutes have passed and it's like i don't think i've seen like a single obvious cut in the action um but after that it it turns almost into like a slightly like video gamey type experience like mostly because it's like follow the waypoint type type plotting mm-hmm. where it's like we need to get to this place to get this item and or we need to go to this place to talk to this guy so we can relay a message to this guy which will then open the next checkpoint and there you, then you can advance to stage two the slums or something like that um but it's it's a really awesome movie and on a conceptual level like i hate to say it but in in this country in the united states like there are times when things like this don't feel that far-fetched <laughs> <laughs> like like you know like we're we're constantly butting heads on a political and a cultural level from region yeah. to region and you know it it i hate to say it but these days it doesn't feel that far off such that like uh i, I it was vetoed uh, but i had floated the idea of doing an american insurgency month <laughs> of podcast <laughs> because there are a lot of movies that deal with this very subject mm-hmm. um what's the uh the stand is it standoff at something creek like sparrow, sparrow creek? creek the standoff at sparrow creek i've been meaning to watch that movie uh because of the subject matter um it's and also the cast like mm-hmm. i i like james badge dale quite a bit um i think he's a very useful tool, like an incredible asset to any production he's involved in. Um, he's not a leading man type guy for the most part, as far as I understand. You but he check seems out the very empty man. Cozy. Then I, I, has my uh, has my ticket expired? Like, am, am I on the naughty list? By yeah, now? You, you're you're not in on the ground floor anymore. I think. I think. I think the time has passed. Yeah. So, folks at home, if you're not aware of this, uh. Be rad, uh, Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast is a strong advocate for the uh, for the Empty Man, which of course is a horror film that came out fairly recently, like within the past two years, and uh, he's been saying it. He's been saying it for for months on end. Like you got to get on it. You got to get mm-hmm. on it. Otherwise, you're going to be one of those hanger ons. You're going to yeah. be one of those guys who's late to the party and looks like like one of those schlubs that lacks creativity and is just like, oh, I like the Empty Man too. Yeah, like, yeah, we've all liked the Empty Man for like two <laughs> years now. Where have you been? Yeah, because in ten <laughs> years, people are going to be like, man, the Empty Man. You got to see it. I can't believe nobody saw this when it came out. And at this point i think the time has passed but if you had if there was a window and you could have get, gotten in on the ground floor and been like i was 
on the ground floor of the empty man before any of these fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brad's got the the OG status when yeah. it comes to the empty man fandom, but yeah, I I do know he's in that. Um and it is a movie that I I'd like to see. Um of course, mm-hmm. uh, just based on what I heard from you and and some of your buddies and whatnot, but um yeah, James Badgedale uh, is in the standoff at Sparrow Creek, and uh, it sounded it sounded like almost like a almost like a a play to some extent. Like it seemed like it's mostly a single location, mostly just like intimate drama type film. Not 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 an action film, not anything to that extent. But it's the subject matter sounded very intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did see that a while ago when it first came out. I don't remember much. But I think I I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I definitely got to check out Bushwick. That's what it's called, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I mean, my boys carrying uh, Jonathan, Jonathan, right? I think I think Jonathan. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, Jonathan Malott and Carrie Mernian. And just in case Carrie or Jonathan are listening, I just want to say, love you guys. Also. Jonathan, love you on Letterbox, man. I, he's on Letterbox. I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think Carrie is. I if if he is, I don't follow him. But Jonathan, get on it, Carrie. <laughs> yeah, get on it, Carrie. Jonathan, love you on Letterbox. I mean, if you want to give me a follow, uh, please, please do. Um, but uh, yeah, they uh, seem like cool guys, and I did like Becky a fair bit, and uh, this one. I do want to check out because it sounds good, and uh, maybe now you're going to light a fire under my ass, and I, I maybe I will check it out. Yeah, it's a it's a fun it's a fun and ambitious project. Um, this, it kind of f- fills a, a niche that appeals to me very specifically because I I really enjoy seeing people try to accomplish a lot with a little. Like I I have that creative tool in my head where I can fill in the blanks. Like I I can give things a pass when I can see that you know money is a huge asset to any production and sometimes you just don't have it but that doesn't mean that you don't try your best um and of course there are instances in this one where it's like you know they they make a very big like decent action spectacle with very little like a lot of his simple smoke and mirrors like literal smoke (laughs) um like like just like smoke machines and very very clever lighting and sound design to create the sense of like a larger scale conflict than what was actually enacted um but there's a lot going on it's it's well acted uh in a lot of places uh they make use of a lot of the scenarios and the character ideas that you would expect for subject matter like this and like an event like this um so yeah i was very very impressed such that now that i know that they made becky that gives me even more incentive to check that one out and my god i've i've told you this plenty of times brad that i I am a sucker for for seeing especially comedic actors play against type like i i i would very much love to see john lovitz be a hard-boiled action hero someday (laughs) like that would be a dream come true no no (laughs) (laughs) but like kevin james playing oh yeah yeah. okay like like a, a an evil an evil guy who's truly the bad guy of the picture it's not something that i think anybody would have expected and it doubles as a selling point for the film mm-hmm. uh, so for me it's like chance to see kevin james do a role like that in addition to being directed by two fellows who seem to know what they're doing it's it's, it's a good selling point for me in particular it's a win-win i mean you got joel McHale in there too he's a bit of a com- he's a comedy guy so there you go you got two comedians uh i mean the one's not a villain, but they're both 
playing it straight. So I mean, that's that's a big one actually, because I think uh, Joel McHale is a local boy. I think he's from around my parts. This this is going to be your movie of last year. <laughs> my movie of last year, the story of my life. Yeah. I, I very seldom see the new movies when they're new. Uh, I get to them when I get to them. I'm too busy ca- watching my my pillowcase full of two dollar DVDs, including the likes of Another Stakeout, The May, yeah, and Black Mask Two, City of Masks. Thank you very much. I was gonna say this guy's just not catching up on the Meg. It'll be a few more years before it gets to Becky. Sorry, Jonathan and Carrie. <laughs> Anyway, uh, that's enough about Bushwick. Uh, Brad, what you got next? Well, you know, this would be the perfect opportunity to pull out Becky, which I do yes. own. <laughs> but unfortunately, oh, I believe it is at my parents' place right now. So I don't have it on me. What are you going to do? Damn it! All my goddamn family <laughs> video purchases are over. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that because then Jonathan and Carrie... I didn't buy it secondhand at Family Video because then they wouldn't get any of the royalties. I don't think. But uh, yeah, you you bought it direct from their their GeoCities page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, let's see here. Let's go with let's go with a good one. I mean, they're all good. They're in my collection. They're all good, right? Um, but we'll sure, go with, Brad. <laughs> with a real good one. Um, this movie, I'd say, I think it was in my top 100 when I made my top 100 list. I believe it was in there. And that is a Brian De Palma film, and that is Blowout, which is a Criterion, uh, you know, stars John Travolta and Nancy Allen. And, uh, you know, this is just a great sort of conspiracy thriller, Uh, very watchable, probably my favorite De Palma movie. I think it's kind of, it's one of his just like tightest, most entertaining, very you know, heavy on his style, and uh, I love uh, John uh, Lithgow in it. Not John Lovitz, John Lithgow. I think he's great as the villain. Um, although, I mean, John Lovitz could have been good. I don't think he has very quite different size. film. Yeah, he yeah have, very different film for sure. Yeah, he doesn't have the size. I don't know how he would have uh, you know done some of those kills that John yeah. Lithgow does. But uh, yeah, gr- great movie. Um, love the ending. The thing with the scream and. Yep. I guess I better not say anything else, but uh, great, great ending. Like just like just feels like a classic ending, like classic Hollywood almost. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a great sort of conspiracy thriller. A lot of fun. John Travolta rocks in it. Um, check it out if you haven't already. I mean, the Criterion Blu-ray is uh, just a nice set. I will say, not a fan of the the cover art, the artwork. I'm not a fan. Like I don't know. It's just it's too. It's too busy. It's just like you look at it. You don't even know what to look at. I don't know. I'm not crazy about that cover artwork. But uh, film rocks. I mean, who knows? I, I would not be surprised if this is something that could potentially get upgraded to 4K through Criterion now that those floodgates have opened. So maybe buyer beware. But there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They uh, they are putting out their first 4K discs this month. Correct. I think I, I I could be mistaken, but I think today I believe today is the day. Mulholland Today's Drive. The day. I believe Mulholland yeah. Drive came out today on 4K. And then what? They have Uncut Gems and Citizen Kane on the way as well. Yep, and uh, Menace to S- Society as well. Okay. Um, and I think the piano I think was announced as a 4K as well. Damn. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting ones. Um, 
I mean, it's kind of bummer because it's like I already mo- I already own Mulholland Drive and uh, Uncut Gems, and so it's like, well, shit, do I want to upgrade? <laughs> and uh, I just watched Citizen Kane like last year for Mank, so it's like, well, I don't own it, but I just wa- like when am I going to watch that again? Um, but never seen Menace to Society, so I'll be picking that one up for sure. Okay, well, uh, let me know how how the 4K turns out because yeah. I mean it's a new venture for them. It's Plenty of things can go wrong when it's a new format oh, yeah. uh, for a distributor. But, um, yeah, Blowout is, is a great film. Uh, my my dad had me watch that one when I was probably too young to really grasp most of what was going on, but he was he was really up on it. That and uh, The Marathon Man mm-hmm. and uh, a, a few other spy thrillers from that era, a few other espionage thrillers from, like, the from the 70s and late 60s and whatnot and blowout was very high on his personal list of movies that he appreciated from that era um and yeah the the end of that one we're not going to spoil it here because it is a sensational film but the ending of that one is like for the books man that's top tier kind of shit but it's a good scream it's a a good scream it's a good scream (laughs) i don't know why he's marlon brando but it's a good scream scream. (laughs) hey shit um yeah, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Brad. Was Nancy Allen also his his gal pal in Carrie? I think she was in Carrie. Yeah, yeah, because that's right. He was in Carrie too. I think you're right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know what which came first, but like it, their the image of both of them with very big hair, like it it sticks out in my mind as being something I've seen more than once. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Carrie was first. I'll say if I had to, you know, I know we're we're here. Because we're loving movies. We're, we're hyping up these movies in our collection. We love them. But if i got to be a little critical, not super crazy about Nancy Allen in uh, Blowout. Not super crazy about her in it. But, you know, it, it's fine. She's all right. I mean, she. I, I think she's a good actress. I haven't seen her enough to say that that's true or not. She was very good in Carrie. Um, and, of course, same director, Brian De Palma. Um, but... I always think of her as a RoboCop's gal pal because mm-hmm. uh, she was fantastic in that. Um, <laughs> a very unfortunate haircut in that one, but it was done semi-strategically because uh, the people involved with the production were like, we don't want people to ask whether or not RoboCop and Nancy Allen can sleep together. Therefore, we'll give her a really shitty haircut to distract people, like to pe- keep people from thinking that maybe that's a possibility. Right. And it seems to have worked out because I don't think I've ever heard anyone bring that up uh, except for the people that made the damn movie. <laughs> but um, yeah, Blowout's one that I probably should go back and rewatch because like I said, uh, I did see it for sure. My dad like sat me down. And he was like, we're watching Blowout. It's like, why? It's like, because it's fucking Blowout. It's awesome. <laughs> it's like, okay, I don't even know what this is, but sure. <laughs> but I was pretty young. I don't think I got all the nuances of it. Um, but I got enough to retain that ending and also just on a purely conceptual level, like, especially now that I have the appreciation for film and filmmaking that I do these days, uh, having, having our protagonist be a sound engineer is a very unique angle to approach things from, mm-hmm. uh, such that I, I feel like I would get a lot more out of that now as an adult than I, than I did as a child. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. You know, a lot of these uh, mouth breathers are like, you know, sound is just like, you just record what happens. There's nothing, sound is whatever. You just record it and the sound's there, right? And then you watch this. You're like, no, you just watch that park scene and tell me sound is not an integral part of the filmmaking experience. Huge, huge. 
Oh yeah, no sound. Sound is can can make or break a film. Honestly, like one of my, one thing that's really fun to do uh, for me anyway is like sometimes when I'll be like perusing the Instagram, I follow a lot of uh, stunt actors and like martial artists and whatnot. And a lot of times they'll like post their reels or like behind the scenes footage of doing scenes together. And a lot of times I'll, I'll be listening to music or something while I'm doing this. So I'm watching all these videos muted and it looks like total garbage. <laughs> like, like you have these incredibly talented physical performers doing all these intricate movements and it's all flawless. But without the sound, like without the hit sounds and, the, and just the air moving sounds, like without the sound layered layered on top of each other, it just it doesn't sell. Like yeah. it really just doesn't work. Um, so like never never discount the the power of sound. Uh, it's it's massive. Yeah. That this this is totally off topic. You you can cut this if you want. But um, <laughs> there's a web series that uh, is done by Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington called On Cinema, and it's a parody of uh, like online film reviewers basically like a parody of us essentially um and uh i just watched a recent uh episode of that and uh, there's one character he's talking and they're talking about the oscars from a few years ago and the one character goes now we all know that music is one of the most important elements in the filmmaking experience and greg turkington goes no they they just throw that on last minute it's not really important finding any way to be contrary in that you can it's just yeah it's, it's good <laughs> nah i don't think so <laughs> i think they just throw that on there the other guy just is like uh okay well uh <laughs> well i mean that's that's almost like the equivalent to like interviewing somebody and just getting completely stonewalled yeah, exactly. <laughs> just getting like a yup i'd care not to talk about that today it's yeah. like, okay then, <laughs> go to commercial. <laughs> so yeah, just made me think of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, um, that was a fun one. Blah, blah, I guess I'm not kidding. I really ought to check that one out again. But um, what what am I gonna do? And I'll say uh, that was the only uh, criterion I pulled off the shelf. I, you know, restrained myself. Okay. Well, uh, I will. F- Funny enough, I'm about to follow suit. Uh, the the only Criterion I pulled off of my oh, shelf. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I actually don't have an extensive Criterion collection, not at all. Brad most certainly does, um, and I think you you actually set aside like a, a section of your shelf specifically for that. Correct? Yeah. I mean, we uh, to get, get even further. I've I've separated my collection by uh, boutique labels almost entirely now. I have an I have an Arrow section, a Kino section. I'm uh, I'm I'm really going uh, I'm I'm deep in the weeds now, but yeah, it's, it all started with the Criterion section, yeah. Okay, well, folks at home, if you're not aware, uh, Brad not only does the Cinema Speak podcast, uh, he also uh, posts YouTube videos uh, every now and again. Uh, some really awesome unboxings and things of that nature, Thank top you. ten lists, all that fun stuff. But um, suggestion for potentially a future video, uh, give us a tour of the collection. I I did have at least one person comment that and. Uh, ask for they, they they specifically requested the whole room they wanted a full like studio tour um which getting some one hour photo vibes from that yeah yeah we'll see i mean it's uh i don't know post your address might... <laughs> yeah it might be a little too personal we'll see i mean we, we might get there someday but i'm not quite ready i gotta keep a few secrets hidden i i wouldn't ask you to do that in fact i'm not interested in that <laughs> but but i think it would be neat just i mean 
Uh, truth be told, not to get us completely off track, but th- this is actually this what I'm pitching is essentially how Tales from the Shelf uh, came about. Was that I realized, holy shit, I have a lot of movies. Holy shit, uh, my buddy Brad has a lot of movies. Uh, wouldn't it be fun to actually put those movies to use aside from occasionally watching them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i would have loved like just the the going like the gears turning in your head when we first like did a podcast together and you saw the blu-rays behind me and you were probably just thinking like one of us one of us <laughs> i mean it was kind of like that where it's just like the webcam comes on for the first time it's like holy shit he's got a lot of movies <laughs> nerd <laughs> But no, like like that is how the concept came about. It was an idea I had had. I'd been sitting on for quite a while. But uh, my my normal podcasting partner Kyle, um, he he is a cinephile to the extreme, probably even more so than me. <laughs> his uh, his tastes are considerably higher brow than mine. Uh, <laughs> he's seen more French films. Just put it that way. <laughs> um, but uh, he doesn't he doesn't have a substantial physical media collection, um, and just. I thought it would be fun to have the visual component to go along with things. So, yeah, I, I would highly encourage you to maybe just give a tour similar similar to this style or something, but just like purely your your an exhibition of your own collection and uh, just curate curate a selection. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so my next uh, B uh, is again my only criterion that I pulled off my shelf from from my bees, uh, and this would be Terry Gilliam's uh, Brazil. Uh, this is a fantastic film. Uh, this is a movie that I continually come back to. That's uh, from 1985. Although, as far as I understand, it was released multiple times because there are multiple versions of this movie. Uh, oh God! Yeah, <laughs> yeah Brett. Brett, uh, we uh, we had a, a, a as the subject of discussion only a couple of months ago, um, alternate cuts. Um, as a topic of discussion on this show, and uh, Brad, <laughs> Brad expressed he's not the biggest fan of there being multiple versions of a film like being out there because it makes it that much more difficult to determine which film is the, like the optimal version or which version of it need it needs a space on your shelf, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Um, but this is referred to as the director approved disc blu-ray which is kind of a big deal when you're dealing with terry gilliam because he is a infamously persnickety individual um and the original theatrical release of this movie was horribly botched um, because the studio uh forced a different conclusion to the story um one one that was considerably more upbeat and very very different uh from his intended vision of the film i believe the runtime was also significantly cut as well um but the the restored version of the movie is the the only version I've actually seen, honestly. Uh, so I, I I have it's not like Blade Runner where I've seen the original theatrical release with the Harrison Ford uh, narration, uh, the very bored, very tired Harrison Ford telling you the plot <laughs> of the entire story. So yeah, she was beautiful, and she came into my apartment. When I was enhancing photos, <laughs> <laughs> took 20 minutes just to get the right pixel. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever seen that version. I got to watch that version sometime. Most people haven't because it's not worth your time. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it is, it is a clear cut example of just an inferior iteration of a film. 
like this that doesn't happen very often honestly where there's like a clear cut just like no you don't need to watch that but that version is just like as far as i understand it's just it's just not as good <laughs> like mm-hmm. like like get that unicorn back in there <laughs> but um brazil is fantastic though uh at like the restored version of it with with the intended ending and the intended runtime in particular uh, i've always said that anybody who's ever worked in an office probably deserves to treat themselves to this film because uh a lot of the subject matter and the the angle at which it approaches said, said subject matter uh, it's cutting like it, it's a little too close to home on occasion. Um, some of the discussions of of bureaucracy and and just the the messes that can come about when uh, components of a greater organism cease to <laughs> perform optimally, <laughs> um, like the messes that can come about as a result of that. It's one of those things. Like I, I always like to keep in the back of my mind that's like it's it's always really cool when you get like an like a package in the mail. Um, and it just arrives on your doorstep and you open it and you're like, oh, that was awesome. It's always an interesting exercise to like take a second to think about how that actually got to your doorstep. Like how many how many different hands had to touch that? How many different systems that had to be processed through? Um, and like the opening of this movie really demonstrates that it all it takes is just like one little fuck up in that very long series of events to to just completely ruin everything there's a there's something referenced in the opening scene of this movie called the tuttle buttle um i actually used that phrase in the office a while back and i I heard a snicker in the neighboring cubicle because they knew exactly what i was talking about because basically it's like like a bunch of wanted posters essentially are being printed out uh, by this machine and a, a fly falls into the machine and it causes the name I think Tuttle to be changed to Buttle on exactly one of like the wanted posters, and it results in uh, a person being wrong, wrongfully imprisoned and pro- presumably executed just because of a type, literally just a typo. Mm. And it's like, man, <laughs> like these these gargantuan systems in place. It really doesn't take much to knock them off kilter. But um, this movie, just like head to toe, like everything about it is is so well thought out. Like the the humor's there, the drama's there, the performances are there. The Terry Gilliam's signature cluttered production design is is like probably at its best here. Honestly, um, yeah, I, I saw this movie in high school, and it's one that I come back to like just every couple of years, just because I I feel like I get something out of it every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've only seen it the one time. Um, now, what's the runtime on this uh, on this bad boy here? Uh, give me one second. Let me check that out. 142 minutes. Well, that's so why I've only seen it the one time. Um, it's not short. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I did like it a lot. Uh, I, I would like to go back and revisit it. Like that whole Tuttle Buttle thing. I don't remember. Like I, I, it's just so sad when you just like think like I've watched this movie. I spent an hour and 142 minutes or whatever you said sitting in front of this movie. And I remember nothing from it. Nothing. <laughs> Well, it is like clutter is the the word that comes to mind when I think of like Terry Gilliam's aesthetic sensibilities. Yeah. Like a lot of his a lot of his scenes, a lot of his production design is very messy. Like like the frame is just crammed full of shit. And usually it is literally just like stuff. Like it doesn't look clean, it doesn't look organized. Like Kyle and I even talked about a movie of his called a uh, The Fisher King. Mm-hmm. Uh it's 
it on on the surface like it seems like a very quaint like very simple human story but even even within those confines like those narrative confines he still found ways to like insert some very bizarre camera angles and like some very unique lensing and like robin williams's character in that like his dwelling in that it's like yeah this was made by the same guy (laughs) like the whole movie doesn't feel consistent with like something like brazil or something or the the brothers grim or what have you but like from time to time it's like you get these reminders it's like oh yeah that there he is there's terry um yeah brazil i would i would highly recommend uh going back to it uh there's there's a lot to it like it's a it's a very good candidate for analysis like it it is a movie you kind of have to pay attention to but even if you aren't it has a it has like a sarcastic sense of humor about it like a very dry very incredibly dry sense of humor about it that is is a lot of fun um and and the cast as well uh, is, is just full of lovely faces that you'll you'll recognize and you'll have a lot of fun with bob hoskins has a very small role in it but a very memorable one um, and robert de niro of all people also has a incredibly small role in it but a, a memorable one as well um but yeah i i've always really enjoyed brazil um there's a reason why it's on my shelf and like i said i don't have that many criterion so it's significant that i would go out of my way to pick this one up yeah, you know, I I don't want to toot my own horn, but uh, when you said, like, uh, you had a criterion, and you're like, I don't have many criterions, but I'm pulling out a B criterion here, I was kind of thinking, I was like, all right, which which criterion is it? And I had narrowed it down, I was like, if you only got a handful of criterions, what is it? what's the B criterion that's the must-own? And I would have said either Brazil or Bean John Malkovich. I was like, he's going to pull out one of those, and, uh, you know, I... I I picked two choices and one of them was right, so not to toot my own horn or anything. But well, if I was running the Criterion Corporation, I would uh, I would gain the rights to Bloodsport and add that to the collection. <laughs> there you go. Put that shit out on 4K. <laughs> Jean Claude Van Damme in Bloodsport from the Criterion Collection. Yeah, save that for Kino. Aren't they putting out uh, what is it? A uh, Hard Target or something? Art, art target yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah um i i was curious about that i had been following the development of that disc for a minute and uh unfortunately it does not include the uh the work print cut mm. uh th- there's a talking about alternate cuts again brad this is an inescapable theme when when you're talking to me unfortunately uh there there was a uh longer cut of that that i don't know if it's a superior cut of the film but it's it's something that has been rumored and talked about for a long time very similar in the same vein as like cobra or the uh some like some like early iterations of the producer's cut of halloween six mm-hmm. is that correct yeah um but in this case uh it is a 4k disc it'll probably turn out looking great um but in terms of features uh, it does not include the uh extended work print cut However, I think it does have a commentary from this guy that I follow on Instagram, uh, Big Mike Leader. Uh, that he's a he's a I think he's British, but he uh, he's acted in a wide array of, of Chinese and Hong Kong productions. Uh, he's usually just like a guy that's there to get kicked and fall down. Sometimes he's just there for dialogue. I think he's like a a liaison between um, like western producers or casting directors and and chinese productions okay uh, but he's deeply embedded in, in the chinese film industry and has been for decades and uh 
I think he's supplying commentary for that one. So that was interesting to see pop up. Um, now I got to ask you though: no work print cut equals no sale. Or for me personally, up? for me personally, that's I'm good. <laughs> I don't know, man. Kino's 4Ks have been looking pretty damn good. You might be missing out on something here, even if it doesn't have that cut. Well, similar to your uh, your conundrum with a uh, with a uh, Citizen Kane. Um, we we reviewed our target on catching up on cinema not that long ago. That's right. I think so I remember it, that. Yeah. So it's it's fairly fresh in my brain, and I I do already have it on the Blu-ray. So it's not it's not a priority for me personally. Okay, Kino sale fourteen ninety nine. Huh? That's still a maybe. Like, All right. Like All right. Our, our our target is not a personal favorite. Uh, for me personally, both in terms of like John Woo and. Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, I, I think they both have better offerings elsewhere in their filmographies, uh, but that is a fun watch. I'm not yeah. going to lie. And yeah, I'll give you that. If owning it already on Blu-ray, it makes the upgrade a little harder. That's a that's a, it's a tougher swallow. Yeah, we, you knock that down to $10 or something, then, then no questions asked, just like, shut up and take my money. I mean, let me tell you, some of these uh, early Black Friday deals that Best Buy's having on some of these 4Ks... We're in trouble. <laughs> we are eating banquet frozen dinners for the next three months. Let me tell you that much. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, you're going to be living off of Velveeta and <laughs> and, uh, and just tap water uh, for, for the, throughout through the end of the year, yeah. basically. I mean, it was great timing. I went to the store, and usually the frozen dinners that are uh, $1.69 were two for $3. Stock up on enough of those, and you got enough money to buy some 4Ks. Yeah, I mean, you got you got to stock up for winter, basically, or stock up for the, the Blu-ray sale, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Way to get out in front of that, Brad. Yep. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that's enough out of me about Brazil. Uh, how about you, Brad? What you got next? All right. Well, let's let's pull this one out. I mean this this disc this disc ain't nothing special. This is just what, what is this? This is universal. This is just the universal disc. It's an old disc. This is, we're talking early days of Blu-ray. So we don't have any Kino criterion. I don't have any of that stamp. But I think this movie is a uh, worth talking about and that is it's a coen brothers film and i i would dare say it might be their most underrated film it is burn after reading which i have a real soft spot for this movie i think this movie is very funny first of all i love the cast i i I think brad pitt i think is one of his best performances i think he's amazing uh john malkovich is awesome in it uh francis mcdormand george clooney tilda swinton awesome cast and um it's a film that i just kind of keep coming back to i i love the like the mix of these like stupid characters with the overly like intentionally so like serious direction from the coen brothers like a lot of their direction is playing it like it's a straight up spy movie like like you know the world is at stake and mixing that seriousness with these like just dumb, stupid, goofy characters, I think it makes for like a really interesting, intentional clash of uh, ideas and style and content that really works. And uh, I think it's very watchable, very quotable. Um, I, I have a real good time with this one. And uh, a lot of people don't put it up there as one of the Coen's best. I don't know if I'd say it's like up there as like they're certainly not their best, but I would, 
I'd probably put it in my top five for them, certainly in terms of watchability. Um, and it's a little bit of a, an anomaly, I find, in their filmography. Like, I think, I don't think they've done a modern-day film since this one. Um, they've been kind of on the period piece kick lately. Um, so this one, you know, it definitely stands out. It doesn't stand out quite as much as what's the one uh, with Catherine Zeta-Jones' Intolerable Cruelty. Yeah. That one... Uh, more so just like the marketing and the poster, I guess. But that one feels like the Coen brothers directed that. What the hell? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I really like burn after reading again. This, I mean, look at this. This is, this has got the whole, uh, we got the, you know, how to act, how to use Blu-ray manual in here. Yep. 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 BD live. We got that. BD live right here. I was Holy about to crap. ask about that. <laughs> what a joke. Yeah, Col- Universal collect your own movie clips. Get out of here with this crap. Yeah, Universal has really ratty packaging uh, on their older discs, and they've they've always had some of the worst menu design uh, when you actually put the disc into the machine. Like, I don't think they've changed it since the format began. Um, yeah, it's always stuck out like a sore thumb. Like, fortunately, the actual quality, like the visual fidelity of their disc, is generally very very good. Um, but yeah, their packaging and their uh, menu design departments, like they, just, they, they, they went on Fiverr or something yeah. and called it good. I gotta say though, one thing with Universal that I probably think about this, if I'm if I'm being honest, I would say I think about this at least twice a day on average, like every day, for my entire life. It's uh, I think it was the DVD era. Universal would have a promo for like their DVDs. I think I think it was specifically DVDs, and uh, so like it was like The Mummy Returns, Jurassic Park Three, and I dis- certainly both of those. I owned both of those, and I watched them a lot when I was younger. And there was like it was a promo for Universal movies on Blu-ray, and there was a piece of music that has been literally stuck in my head for my entire life. Ever since, like, I, I literally think about that music, I would say at least twice a day. Like, literally today, I was just walking around and just thinking in my head, I don't know if it's from something else, but I always associate it with that opening universal promo. I mean, it's it's just, it's good, man. Like, it's a banger. I love it. Okay, well you you've set me on a on a on, on a journey here uh, because now it's my mission to uh try to scour the internet to find this long lost universal promo music because uh, I'd very much like to confirm if I'm remembering it correctly because I I know I think I I know exactly like the trailers that you're talking about like it's just showing off the universal catalog and like now on DVD yep. basically um but I I'm I have a idea of what the music sounded like but now now it's my mission to either like go through my movie library and see if i can find a universal disc that might still have it uh or just like see if i can look it up on the youtubes or something so i'll i'll get i'll get it to you if i find it well i'm just looking i just typed in universal dvd promo on uh youtube and i don't i'm not actually gonna look into it and see if this is right but uh it looks like credited is john pratt it says composed with music by John Pratt, um, who is not a name familiar with me. But if this is if this is what I'm thinking of, 
John Pratt made one of the greatest bangers of all time. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well I'll have to I'll have to give that a listen when it's we're good, done. Man, it's good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the Cohen brothers are probably one of the candidates. There's like I could probably count on at least one hand, easily both hands and both feet, uh, the number of directors who I owe it to myself uh, to better familiarize myself with their filmographies. But the Cohen brothers are probably like top three of of priorities uh, for me personally because I know them by reputation. I know them by stylistic sensibilities. Like I. I generally know when I'm watching one of their products, but truth be told, I actually haven't seen that many of their mm. films. I have liked pretty much all of the films of theirs I've seen, uh, minus uh, the Lady Killers. Uh, that movie was fine; mm-hmm. it wasn't bad. Like it wasn't awful or anything. It was just like clearly not of the same caliber. Uh, it happens. <laughs> so like you do something for several decades, and yeah, you will you know have a little bump in the road at some point. Um, but uh, Burn After Reading is one that I have seen. Uh, my uh, my my ex was really really big on that one, uh, and I she ended up presenting it to me, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And you're absolutely right. Like the 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 sheer like magnitude of the humor that comes from this like shot as if it's a legit spy thriller, but like cast full of dunces. Like the humor that comes out of the situations and and the and the just the the power of the filmmaking on display like it's all highly coordinated in fact i as far as i understand like that's how a coen brothers set is conducted like they're they're very precise um in in particular with their writing uh, they're very big on like every inflection in the script is meant to be shot <laughs> it's like you we're not here to improvise we're not here to bebop and scat we're, it's like we're here to read what's on the fucking page brad <laughs> it's like... yeah it's the classic thing where they say if you go up to uh each of the cohen brothers separately and you ask them a question you'll always get the exact same answer yeah no i've i've, I've heard that they they run a very tight ship uh with all their productions but that but that's part of what's interesting is that so many of their movies end up being so very very funny um and have such a a unique they have such a unique voice at least in the hollywood landscape where it's like they're their sensibilities and their their approach to humor the way it's delivered it's 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 not oftentimes like making a big show out of the humor it's like i don't entirely know why that was funny but good god that was hilarious <laughs> like um like fargo for me is like endlessly rewatchable um and also a very very funny movie with some intense moments here and there mm-hmm. um but burn after reading was mostly just hilarious like yeah and and so many of the payoffs with some of the characters, in particular George Clooney's characters, just like I don't think anybody could have seen that coming, but I'm really glad it's in the movie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you got to respect the Coen Brothers too, because I'm sure this wasn't intentional, but you know, right after Fargo, they do the Big Lebowski. Right after No Country for Old Men, they do Burn After Reading. Like the fact that they like have these highly acclaimed celebrated um you know fargo is comedic but i I would say they're more like i I would say they're more dramatic films like those are their high caliber oscar worthy films and for them to immediately go into a comedy after both of those i i love that it's like they're not going to try and follow up you know a fargo with another fargo like they're gonna they go do what they do whatever they want i love it 
Yeah, and more power to them because, like I said, they they very seldom seem to miss, uh, and they have an extensive body of work. Um, Brad, not to put you on the spot, but uh, if you had to pick like a, a favorite Coen Brothers movie, or at least or like a top two or three, what do you think you'd go with? I would probably say Fargo is my favorite. I, w- I would put No Country for Old Men pretty close behind it, though. I, I really do love No Country for Old Men. Um, and, like, that one is underrated in its humor as well. Like, there's some of my fa- Like, I can think of some moments, um, specifically when uh, I believe it's uh, Josh Brolin walks into the department store, and I think he's, like, covered in blood. And uh, he, t- he asks, he's like, I need some clothes. And he asks the guy, like, you ever see a guy come in here looking like me? And the, the guy just goes like, no, sir, it's unusual. <laughs> like the delivery of that, like how like straight faced he says, like that's classic Cohen Brett. It's so funny. It's great. Yeah. that That's exactly what I think of when I think of their particular brand of humor, which where it's just like, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily work without the proper context, but good God, it works. Mm-hmm. But um, Kyle is a huge fan of no country for old men yeah. uh, such that I, he's probably mad at me for not having seen it more than once and having only seen it probably around the time it first came out. So I honestly don't remember it that well. Uh, So that's, that's God damn it, Brad, you're racking up a huge list of things. I really ought to go run out and give a rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. Fargo is very high on my list personally as well. Uh, Again, like full disclosure, not, not a super fan. Don't have the most extensive familiarity with their filmography, but uh, a serious man, is also like neck and neck with that one. I I really enjoy that movie. They, they I mean, they got so many bangers. Like they they're do. they're like John Pratt. They they straight bangers. I mean, yeah, like I'm thinking, yeah, Serious Man. That's definitely up there. Inside Lewin Davis. That's a great one. I mean, the more I think about it, it's like, damn, how would I narrow down my top five? Maybe Burn After Reading wouldn't make my top five. Like they got a lot of good shit. They absolutely do. And uh, like I said, in terms of di- like directors that I I really owe it to myself to take a deep dive on someday um they're very near if not at the top of my list personally yeah. um so yeah i'll i'll definitely have to work on that in particular no country for old men is due for a rewatch but there's tons of of classics from them that i just I haven't seen get on it bud get on I, it i know i know i know get get into yeah, it but first i gotta get through that pillowcase full of shit yeah you gotta watch the meg <laughs> first i gotta watch the meg Black Mask 2, City of Masks, <laughs> and another stakeout. They didn't have the first stakeout, so I only got another stakeout. <laughs> I mean, hey, that's a that's a good title, though. It's not bad. I mean, now let me ask you, if you had the first stakeout, would you separate them? Would you put another stakeout under A? I would break your damn heart, Brad, and I would put them side by side. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to be sick. <laughs> But uh, let me reassure you and say that I have no intention of purchasing the first stakeout. Yeah, um, yeah. So here's another question. Yeah, so now you've only got another stakeout. Where are you putting another stakeout? Well, the, it's going under A. You, you're, because you're fucked, bud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my collection is fucking Thunderdome. I know. <laughs> Hold, stick to your guns and put it under S at least. I, at least that I can uh, appreciate your standing your ground. There are no rules, Brad. <laughs> Not in my house. I can just imagine you buying stakeout and walking over to your shelf and grabbing another stakeout from A and like, oh, they got to move it over to S now. 
Well, see, if I had you in here, Brad, I'd go, I'd go take a shit or something. And I'd come out, and you'd be like, <laughs> like monkeying around with the placement. Thing. Like, yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, how dare you reorganize my shelf and yeah. put it in its proper order? <laughs> put oh, it in logical order. Oh, I'd have fun with that. Oh, that'd be that'd be a blast. Well, I feel like like the moment you set foot in here, you'd be like blinking out of sync and like bordering on a stroke or something yeah, she'd be okay. having an aneurysm i need a couple hours go do something i'll just give me some I mean, time I'd, I'd have to make sure to have a brown paper bag on hand at, <laughs> at the very least it's just like brad just just in case you know yeah <laughs> just, mm-hmm. just uh, like like dr alan grant put your head between your knees <laughs> <laughs> make fists twitch your toes uh so what do i got next well, it wouldn't be a Tales from the Shelf uh, if I didn't cheat like a motherfucker. All right. Because it is it is my show, and I'm free to break the non-existent rules as I see fit. Uh, so I have here uh, three, no, four different movies from the same director that all begin with the letter B. Um, mm. Most of which are important to me. Not all of them, but <laughs> most of them. Uh, so I have... I'm so sorry, Brad. I'm going to break your damn heart again. <laughs> so I have uh, the ugliest Batman case you've ever seen. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, the four film favorites Batman collection from Warner Brothers. This includes uh, basically the Tim Burton and the Joel Schumacher era of the film franchise. Uh, so, of course, I'm talking about Tim Burton, uh, who directed Batman 89 and Batman Returns, uh, both of which are some of my very, very favorite superhero films. Batman Returns, in particular, I've said it numerous times on the show, uh, is probably my favorite uh, superhero slash Batman movie ever. Um, it's It means a lot to me personally for whatever reason. Uh, it, in addition to that, though, I also have Beetlejuice mm-hmm. on 4K, which uh, I will confirm look, looks absolutely fantastic on the format. That's uh, another Warner Brothers disc. Um, and finally, I have an Anchor Bay disc of uh, Big Eyes. <laughs> Uh, which is a oft-forgotten uh, Tim Burton film that was not very well marketed nor very well publicized, such that uh, unless you confirm it right now, Brad, I don't think I know another human being on the planet that's seen this movie. <laughs> well, you can count me in because I have seen Big Eyes. Okay. Uh, what what was what was the verdict? How'd you feel about? It? Don't remember anything from it. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. It it is kind of that sort of movie it feels like a an odd an odd passion project of sorts yeah. uh, from tim burton uh, because just from a subject matter standpoint it's like hang on what now <laughs> like you want to talk about what for t- for two and a half hours and but you know you have christoph waltz and amy adams directed by tim burton uh, a film about art about painting in particular um and and the nature of uh public personas and fame uh I feel like it fits very handsomely into his filmography. It's just it's not one of his stronger efforts. But thematically, it's actually highly consistent with a lot of the themes that he seems to be obsessed with with his filmography. I've always stressed that a lot of his stories are about artists to some degree, and a lot of them are about outcasts or people who don't necessarily fit in or have an aspect of themselves that draws a little bit too much attention to them and therefore causes them to be ostracized or exploited usually is the case like edward scissorhands in particular is an example of an artist being exploited by the public and 
suffer like everybody kind of mutually suffering as a result of it um but yeah big eyes is i would not like highly recommend it to anyone um but it was a movie that i was i was really glad i I sought out just because i for the most part i really liked tim burton um and when i heard about the subject matter i was like that doesn't sound good not gonna lie (laughs) that sounds dreadfully boring if, if i'm being perfectly honest but because it was directed by him and because it's consistent with a lot of the themes he tends to explore, I, uh, I thought he could do something with it. He did, uh, but it it just doesn't really coalesce into anything truly exceptional. Uh, same cannot be said for for these films, though. Uh, Batman and Batman Returns and Beetlejuice, all of them are absolutely fantastic movies. Um, absolutely gorgeous from head to toe. Uh, feature some of Danny Elfman's uh, earlier and like like more effortful <laughs> um film scores uh he he has a couple of stints in his career where he maybe phoned it in just a little bit um but in the late 80s that was most certainly not the case especially since as far as i was told um, by my parents like a lot of noise was made about him being assigned to some of the projects he was where it's like the oingo boingo guy like <laughs> conducting an orchestra for big budget hollywood movies like that doesn't add up and then you get the end result of say batman 89 it's like okay i'll shut the fuck up <laughs> it's like it's like i will eat crow on that one because yeah uh, he he is capable of absolutely phenomenal things um but yeah brad anything to say about any of these in particular um you know i i do enjoy tim burton as well um i think uh he's definitely fallen off in later years i mean same can be said for danny elfman i mean you listen to some of this guy's scores nowadays and you're like man this guy used to be operating at the level of john pratt and look at him now um but no i do love uh his first two batman movies beetlejuice i mean really his early filmography i mean this guy was just like banger after banger and uh lately it's just like you're wondering where, 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 where'd he go? Where, where did, where did good old Timmy go? It's funny because I forget the occasion precisely, but um, like last time I, I glanced at Tim Burton's filmography, oh, it was when we talked about Sle- uh, Sweeney Todd uh, just last month uh, for Kyle's Killer October, which was a horror, horror musical themed. Um, when when we started talking about that, like I made a point to to like do a a frontwards and backwards examination of all the filmmakers we were talking about. Cause it's a fun exercise to look at what preceded and what followed a work. Like where does this film fit in, in this person's body of work? And mm-hmm. I was, I was kind of taken aback by the fact that I, I too often think of Tim Burton as having like had a cutoff date or like a falling off point. But then when I look at his filmography really closely, it's like, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think he just misses like he had like his batting average isn't the isn't astounding but i don't i don't think he's truly completely fallen off he just has these spells where it's just like oh that didn't work out and then he usually kind of returns to form at some point because like the first movie that i can point to on his filmography that is truly a miss is planet of the apes in 2001 so that's you know a decade and a half before he had his first swing and a miss um Big Fish. I don't know if it cleaned up at the box office, but uh, that was a that was a critically regard, well regarded film that directly followed Planet of the Apes. And then Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, not a very good movie. <laughs> so, so it's like miss, hit, miss. Corpse Bride. I don't know if that many people saw that one. Sweeney Todd, as far as I understood, 
stand was not marketed well. <laughs> like uh, they tried to hide the fact that it was a musical, but critically, uh, it's held up for the most part. Alice in Wonderland made all the money. It kind of sucks. <laughs> so that's another miss. Uh, so it's, it's yeah. like it's like he he kind of just has like a rhythm of just kind of like eh, uh, eh, uh. <laughs> uh, I think your theory falls apart in the last decade. I think everything after Alice in Wonderland. I mean, I haven't seen Frankenweenie. I mean, Big Eyes is okay. I mean, again, none of these are like stankers, but like yeah, compared to you know his usual output, like his last decade has been pretty bad i would say <laughs> oh i mean if you compare it to his first his first decade i wouldn't fight you on that yeah. absolutely um i i need to see dark shadows uh i've i've heard it's better than you might think like it it didn't look good at all when it was being advertised but like i've heard mostly good things honestly yeah and the and the cast is is a i don't know it's a breath of fresh air for me like that was it that came out in a time period when michelle pfeiffer wasn't in that many things and it's like oh she back. Yeah. I'm game. <laughs> yeah, that's one I definitely... I got to revisit that one. I, I saw it in theaters, and that, that's that been it. Um, I, I wasn't, like, super crazy about it, I don't think. But could... I mean, people were... There was a little bit of a Dark Shadows pile-on going on, I feel like. So maybe uh, <laughs> I might have been guilty of, uh, you know, joining the, the angry mob. Well, again, also just from a conceptual standpoint, it's not very appealing. I mean, for fuck's sake, it's an adaptation of a soap opera from from like the 60s like it's like one of those things that's like you can tell this probably meant something to him personally but beyond that it's like you know the kids aren't really going to be rushing out to the theater to see to see dark shadows Mm -hmm. i mean the interesting thing this will be interesting like uh for you to watch for the first time me revisit dark shadows in preparation for rob zombies the monsters ah I mean that would be an interesting comparison. Yeah, honestly, yeah. that I, I I have no idea what to expect from that. By the way, that is honestly maybe not maybe not even necessarily the movie, but the trailer for the upcoming Monsters movie with Rob Zombie might be my most anticipated piece of content in the next like year or so. Because like I truly want to know like is I got is it going to be a, a comedy? How much is Rob Zombie going to rein in his normal? style or is it i mean i'm very very interested (laughs) yeah i like i said i have no idea what to expect from that because i i actually did grow up kind of watching the monsters i have some familiarity with it thanks to nick at night um and when i think of the monsters i absolutely don't think of rob zombies uh his oeuvre his his uh aesthetic uh in the film world cuz he de- he tends to go for that hellbilly thing mm-hmm. uh he seems to not be capable of making things without the hellbilly thing um but yeah i i presume the monsters will be driving around town in the back of their dragula <laughs> at some point in the film yeah <laughs> i mean going back to dark shadows i got to say one real disappointing element is, uh, you know, you got a movie where Johnny Depp is a vampire and there's no Hollywood vampires on the soundtrack. Come on, yeah. get real. Let's go. I mean, at least use it for the trailer. Right? Or I mean, know? come on. Like, I mean, maybe, yeah. I guess maybe it was. I'm, just, I'm making a gag. I'm making a goof. Maybe it was on the soundtrack. I don't know. <laughs> well that is that is a movie though that of tim burton's in particular that i i owe it to myself to check out because i have heard pretty good things but big fish is honestly the biggest uh 
element of his filmography that I haven't seen. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've been I've been told well. I've been told by a lot of people that it's like Trevor, you're, you really got to see that one because it's actually really really good. Ooh, you're but, gonna ball oh, your eyes out. Let me tell you that. Much. I, I know. I, I know a little bit about the subject matter. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> like, like, do I really want to watch that? It's like, yeah, I, I do. But I'll get to it when I get to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, Brad, I think maybe you're absolutely right. I think Tim Burton may be in a rut. <laughs> like, here's hoping he can pull himself out of it, though, because God damn it, he gave us some really amazing shit. And I really, I really hope he has at least one more good one left in him. Stick a fork in him. He's done. He is. <laughs> what isn't his next thing? A Netflix show for uh, about the Adams family? I don't know, but I, it's I, over. It's it's I, over. I, I've, I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to acknowledge that. But you're probably right. I mean, for fuck's sake, the guy did start in 1985. That is that is a lot of that is a lot of career. Um, so there's no shame in, in like calling it good at this point, but man, I, I miss, I miss prime Burton. Like, like he gave us like a good solid decade and a half of just awesomeness. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to get some more of that. Cause like we're missing some, some weird shit in, in like the Hollywood blockbuster scene, man. Like, yeah, like we, we get decent blockbusters these days, but we need like weirdos like him in the director's seat to give us stuff that's like truly memorable and special. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I feel like you can see, like, it, we're reaching a point where there's filmmakers coming up who are influenced by his early stuff, and so, but, I mean, they're not, they don't have, obviously, which I guess is good, that they're not just ripping him off 100%, but you can see influence of him, and then he's over here doing a Wednesday Adams Netflix series. Uh, that like, hurts, man. His upcoming, like, if you look at his IMDb... He's got two projects. One is Wednesday, which comes out next year, and the other uh, is in development Beetlejuice Two. That's been in development since nineteen eighty five. I know that's where he's at right now. That this is where he's at. Ah, oh, that hurts, Brad. If Ugh. if Michael Keaton wasn't having a good career right now, I would say they they'd be like they're both. Michael Keaton is probably the one now who's like I don't know if I want to go. I don't know about that. <laughs> Tim Burton's oh, probably uh, like, please, Michael, please, I need something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the Adams Family thing is kind of depressing, too, because it's like a lot of people wrongfully associate Tim Burton with those 90s films. It's like he didn't make those. That, yeah. that was, in fact, that, that wasn't Barry Sonnenfeld. That was the one who I get mixed up with Barry Sonnenfeld. Um, I, I get their names mixed up because they're kind of similar. I can't remember off the top of my head, but... I don't know. It's not Barry. Le- is it Barry Levinson? Did he do those? It's it's Levinson or Sondenfeld because for some reason I get the two of them mixed up a lot. Yeah, I mean it's it's, <laughs> it's easy to see why. I think no, yeah. I think it was. I think it is Sondenfeld that did it. Okay, yeah, yeah. That I kind of thought so, but yeah, um, he did the Adams Family films, not Tim Burton. Yeah. But because of the aesthetic similarities, a lot of people just kind of assumed. Uh, that Tim Burton made those. It's like, oh, so now we've come full circle. So now he's being assigned to the things that people wrongfully attached to his name. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's not even getting to direct the theatrical Adams Family movies. He's doing the Netflix. Like, this, he's done. It's over. It's, it's he's done. He he uh, should have followed Quentin Tarantino's page and quit after ten. <laughs> he's done. I mean, it probably would have worked out for the best. Yeah. But. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, uh, that's enough Burton bashing. Uh, what you got next, Brad? All right. Well, here's here's an interesting one. Maybe I've talked about this on a past Tales from the Shelf. I don't know, but whatever. If if, if I don't remember, nobody else is going to remember probably. So, um, <laughs> um, now this one is interesting because you. I mean, getting back into collection organization. Does this movie start with a B? Like, is this breaking the basic rules of our episode? We're going to have to find out. We'll see what you think. Could go either way. I'm talking Bram Stoker's Dracula. Now, is it Dracula or is it Bram Stoker's Dracula? Because I consider it Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's what's on the spine. It's on the cover. But you go on IMDb. And it is just credited as Dracula. So, really? Yeah. I was not aware of that. That's, I just checked it out because I was like, I know somewhere it is simply Dracula. And it is Dracula on IMDb. Um, so I don't know. I, I have it under B. You know, the classic rule, if it's on the spine, that's where it goes in line. <laughs> so now follow, you got to follow. You got to stick to your principles. Um but yeah, I I really uh, enjoy this film a lot. Uh, uh, speaking of, I also have a, an empty bottle of Francis Ford Coppola's wine sitting up here. You can oh, you can actually kind of see it, right? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. There, there you go. That's Frankie's wine. <laughs> um, I I love the story of Dracula. This might be my favorite version of it. I love the makeup, the effects. I mean, the cast has got some highs. You got your Gary Oldmans. You got your Anthony Hopkins. But you also got your lows with uh, Winona and Keanu. Not super well cast. But, hey, now everybody loves Keanu. So everybody's going to go back to this and say, hey, we all we, we love Keanu. Even when he's not good, we love him. He's a great guy. You know, um, and uh, it's just it's a really fun movie. Uh the slipcover is amazing. It's, it's got that nice texture. I specifically had to go to Walmart to get this with a slip. I think I I think I have talked about this before. I'm pretty sure I told you about this story where I was in Best Buy and none of them had a slipcover. They were all just sitting on the shelf like this. And I said, I got to get a slip. This just came out. Why is there no slip? And I go in Blu-ray.com. I go in the forums. And people are freaking out. Why is there no slip on this at Best Buy? Where's the slip? And somebody comments, there's there's slips at Walmart. Walmart has it with slips. <laughs> and so mad dash, get over to Walmart. And woo. So I did get get this with the slip. Um, and yeah, it's I, I like it as a like adapting Dracula and really, you know, amping up the horror elements. Like it's it it does have some horrific stuff in there. And uh, I think it's you know, it's a it's a sexy film. It's gory. It's it's just a, it's a blast. It's a good time. Frankie's uh, best film of the '90s. Pro- I mean, probably his last good film. I don't even know what he's done since. Just stick to wine, Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I seem to remember him having some stinkers like in the late 2000s or something. That I think my brother may have sent me some clips of, but. Um, it's funny you bring that one up because I actually almost pulled that one out as uh-huh. well. I yeah. I own the exact same disc, although I don't have an awesome story to go with it as well. Should have gone to Walmart. Um, 
that, that's where you get the that's where you get the war stories yeah. on Blu-ray hunts. Um, but yeah, I almost pulled that one off as well. I too think of it as Bram Stoker's Dracula because uh, that's how it was always marketed. Um, that's that's the title of the movie. I I don't recall if that plays actually in the film. Like I think that. I don't remember if Bram Stoker's name appears in the opening title of the film with the the stone tablet or whatever that says Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, in terms of like the way the movie was marketed, it was always Bram Stoker's Dracula. So that's how I think of it. Uh, I would classify that as a B. But uh, the timing of this is very fitting because, um, again, not too long ago, Brad and I were talking about alternate cuts of films. And uh, I did get around to watching Francis Ford Coppola's uh, the Godfather oh, yeah. Coda, Colin, the death of Michael, Michael Corleone, um, which was a complete waste of my motherfucking time. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Godfather 3 is not that great of a film to begin with, um, and the av- the advertisement, like the concept of a recut of the film was that it's like this is going to be a better version of the same product, and um, for, just to spoil it, uh, essentially all it is is uh, they rearrange uh the opening uh they changed the ending completely to some extent um and the runtime is cut down by a significant portion so if you're looking for a faster watch it is it is an alternative like if you just want to watch the godfather trilogy and you want to be quick about it it is useful for that Uh, but in terms of like artistic merit it really has almost nothing going for it. <laughs> like it felt like a waste of my time. Honestly, mm. I was just like, what was the point of that? Um, same cannot be said for uh, the Rocky four director's cut, which I saw in the theater very recently. That is the differences of, of that version. While not all of them, like not all the changes are worthwhile uh, or significant. They're apparent such that it's like, it. it's like, okay, this is a different cut of the movie. Whereas the other one, it's just like, this is basically just a, a faster Godfather three with a different opening and a different ending. It's like the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's there's some weird continuity issues too, where like they rearranged a scene I noticed, and then basically uh, the Michael Corleone character was talking to both of his kids, and then they separated that scene into two different scenes split up by like ten to fifteen minutes of screen time, and we only get to see him talk to his kids individually. But then at the end of one of the conversations, you can see a disembodied hand walking into the frame carrying flowers. And it's like, oh, that's totally the same scene. They just they just forgot to cut out that, that little bit of the person walking into the frame. It's like, oh, well, why the fuck would you separate it? <laughs> like, mm. it? It feels very lazy in that way. But anyway, Bram Stoker's Dracula is, is a truly beautiful film. Um, just... Again, if you discount like that, some of the acting performances like Winona and Keanu do not display their best work here. Um, even with that, just to look at the damn thing and, and listen to it, like the score is also like I can't pronounce the person's name. It's Wachakilar. <laughs> I, I I know I I can see the person's name in my head, but I don't have the the tools to pronounce it. But the score is phenomenal. Uh, that that that's a tune that's been used for many trailers, um, and uh, just the the audiovisual mastery at work is is incredible. Like it's it's kind of like the Lord of the Ring, the Peter Jackson uh, Lord of the Rings films, in that it's like in every trick in the book type production. Mm-hmm. Like watching the making of for that movie is is 
awesome. Like it, it's so cool to see some of the stuff that they employed in that film. It's like so much of it is like almost like antiquated technology, but it comes across beautifully in the in the finished product. And um, so it, I feel like uh, at the time I could be mistaken, but wasn't it? Uh, didn't get a very warm reception when it came out. I feel like it was kind of uh, got a little bit of a you know shit on a little, not maybe not too bad but i feel like it's definitely over time more people have come around and come to appreciate it i suspect you're probably right because uh, i, I want to say the reception for it may have been somewhat lukewarm the marketing train behind it was pretty big um i remember that much i was I, mean, I was very young when it came out but i do remember the promotion for it it was a big deal um, but I don't I don't know if it was all that well received at the time of release. But these days, I think it's it's a very well regarded film. Yeah, um, probably on the strength of a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, honestly, like now now that like we've had DVDs and Blu-rays and 4Ks for a long time and, and supplemental materials like this are just like widely available. I think people are finding new ways to appreciate films where it's just, it's not just a good film to look at. It's like when you actually think about how they made the damn thing, that's what makes it a really awesome movie. Um, because like I said, from a performance standpoint, there are, there are some okay performances. There are some astounding performances as well. Gary Oldman goes for it in this one. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not positive how I feel about Anthony Hopkins. Uh, some of his line deliveries are kind of funny um, but I think it's because he crafted a, a unique spin for the character of the Van Helsing character, where it's just like he's kind of just like flip about a lot of really hairy shit. Or it's just like really gnarly shits going on. He's just like, no big deal. <laughs> it's like, eh, it's, it's every Tuesday at my house. Yeah. <laughs> Another uh, theory, maybe why this might have gotten dumped on when it came out, is it did come right after Godfather Part Three. So it just the, the, the Coppola pylon, I mean. What can you do? I could see that because, yeah, Godfather 3, I think these days gets more of a pass than maybe it deserves because uh, I, I remember at the time when that movie came out, it was shat on. Like, people really didn't care much for that movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel like that it's softened a bit, like, these days, the public perception of it. But, yeah, I could I could see the runoff from that maybe poisoning this this production a little bit. Yeah. But these days it's it's awesome. Like I I think uh, Kyle rewatched it pretty recently as well. Um and he he's it's one of those like any time of the year kind of movies for him. It's just like, man, I just I want to I want to see some of those cool images and some of those really awesome transitions again. Yeah. Plus the the cast really is awesome. Like like I said there's a couple of stinkers in there, but like <laughs> Bill Campbell doesn't really make much of an impression, but it's kind of the novelty factor of seeing the Rocketeer fight vampires is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then I think I think uh, uh, Richard E. Grant is in there as well. Okay, um, who was not as much on my radar until Kyle had me watch the film uh, with Nolan. I um, he had me watch that just out of the blue a long time ago, like a few years back, and we did end up reviewing it for catching up on cinema at some point. But like ever since I watched that movie, now he's like very much on my radar, and it's like man that guy's really fucking good. Like, like he elevates like everything he's involved in. And yeah, he, he plays one of, uh, one of the suitors in there. So he's like shoulder to shoulder with like, uh, Carrie Elwes and, and Bill Campbell in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, Brad, you're just racking up this list of movies. I need to rewatch. Cause it's like, it's staring at me. It's like, yeah, it's right over there. Uh, now <laughs> I'm wanting to rewatch. I mean, bottom line, check out Bram Stoker's Dracula 
don't check out the new cut of The Godfather Part 3. Francis Ford Coppola, stick a fork in him. He's done. Stick to the Pinot Gris, Frankie. You're done. No more of these cuts. <laughs> Cut Wait, you off. Act- I mean, that's that's something to be worried about, Brad, is just this month, like maybe even this week, he has a new one uh, coming out on 4K, uh, The Outsiders. Ah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I've never so seen we that. So we have Apocalypse Now. We have The Outsiders. We have The Godfather 3. This guy's like, hopped up on it, Pino. Get real, what, Frankie. What I'm what I'm hinting at here, Brad, is what happens if he gets he gets froggy and he wants to take a hop at a uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, <laughs> uh, like a, a new cut. You're talking. Yep. <laughs> um, I mean, I I would check it out, but I would not be happy about it. Yeah, no, I I don't see a reason to meddle with that film it's already so beautiful to look at i don't think it would benefit from from rejiggering any of the order of scenes or anything like it there's nothing to be done with it and on top of that i want to say that uh maybe the studio would be less willing to have a a dracula product meddled with yeah uh, because it's kind of a big deal and there's a lot of ownership rights and concerns of that nature so i i don't imagine that's a possibility but Seems like it's in his nature to want to, to George Lucas that shit. <laughs> yeah, Frankie's grandkids are going to tell him to sit down and just, you know, watch some Prices Right. Chill out, granddad. You know, <laughs> you're not going to have you re- redo your Br- Dracula film. No, I, I sincerely hope he doesn't. No, because oh yeah. I, I, I still haven't rewatched uh, Apocalypse Now to see what the, quote, final cut of it is like. But, um,. And I I don't really have much interest to check out The Outsiders. I, I had to watch that shit for high school. Um, yeah, see, I never cat, did that one in high school. I don't know why. It may it may be like a, a regional thing. Who knows? But uh, The Outsiders was on the curriculum. We did read it. Uh, and the movie has the novelty factor of having one of the most astounding casts of young dudes of its time. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's just this laundry list of you big know. names that, that would become big in the years to come. But... It's not a movie I'm especially thrilled to go back and rewatch, especially like a, a longer version with a new soundtrack. I think because I think the original version like had his dad uh, compose the score for it or something. But anyway, don't fuck with Dracula. No, no, <laughs> words to live by. Stick, don't fuck with Dracula. Stick to the line, Frankie. <laughs> All right, Brad. Well, uh, you want to go one more round, or are you about tapped out? Yeah, I can go one more round. Okay. Well, let's see what we got here. gonna go out with uh me and talk about stacked cast um this is uh (laughs) i think this is a universal yes this is a universal disc it has that swoosh across the the back art for it so that's telling um this is a movie that is a i actually have a similar relationship to this film that i do to uh kenneth branagh's uh uh, frankenstein oh in that it makes me laugh when i'm not supposed to laugh um i love i love kenneth Branagh's frankenstein for that that movie just makes me laugh and laugh (laughs) i've never seen that one i gotta that's i gotta add that to the list you you really ought to brad you'll have fun with it Mm -hmm. trust me um so this is a a ron howard film uh backdraft (laughs) yeah Yeah. uh this was a really really big deal when it came out in the early 90s uh and the cast is just absolutely stacked um 
this this movie i remember distinctly like the entertainment tonight like uh behind the scenes segments like detailing the the pyrotechnics uh involved in the production because uh one interesting thing about this movie is that it came out in a time period where cgi was not yet uh, a standard element in film production so all the fires had to really be in in the room with the actors and with the stunt players and whatnot so a lot of it looked serious and dangerous um and it was really thrilling and plus it was a it was a huge production like i don't remember all the marketing for this one but i just remember like back the word backdraft is not one that you hear in daily speech very often uh, but as a kid this was one of those things where it's like you hear the word backdraft and you just kind of like gasp a little bit like oh that's the movie with the fire <laughs> oh shit yeah. <laughs> uh so for me this was like one of those movies very similar to like uh top gun or rocky four where it's like i kind of oh and blood sport and kickboxer uh, i kind of heard whispers on the playground about what the movie actually was and that i crafted in my own head what what backdraft was because i mean just the word backdraft <laughs> and then when i finally got around to seeing it i was like oh, it was a movie it was fun <laughs> but so it didn't really live up but at the same time it's just like it's one of those gigantic 90s movies that just like it's special if you were there for the moment but like i would imagine if you're a younger person and you come across this movie it's probably just like oh what's the big fucking deal it's like you had to have been there (laughs) um but yeah i i've always really enjoyed this movie it's the reason why i say it makes me laugh is it's not like a haha this is terrible kind of laugh it's more like the the style of drama and acting in this movie is so heightened it's everything is so melodramatic and overblown and and it's all amplified by a, a young han zimmer uh doing one of his early blockbuster scores i mean he'd been working in hollywood for a, for a minute by by the time we got to this one like um the rain man in particular and, and a black rain which i did pull aside but i haven't talked about um his scores for those were from the 80s were some early like big hollywood productions he was doing but uh, his score for Backdraft is phenomenal. Yeah, like, I think it, I've it, never it, seen the film, but I've heard the score. There's, I mean, we're we're at we're at John Pratt level with this one. We got some bangers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it it really is an exceptional score. Um, and it it's I wouldn't say it's a complete turning point in his career, um, but it start it kind of was a signal to like the style that he'd Im- embody. Um. And then I think he really, really came to prominence by the time he got to Gladiator. Like, he had some phenomenal scores leading up to that, but I don't think he was, like, a household name uh, until around then. Because I think he actually has gone on record saying um, Hunt for, no, uh, Crimson Tide is one Mm. of his personal favorite scores. Yeah, yeah. And that was solidly, like, in the mid-90s. So he was doing really, really good work, but this movie, I want to say, is, like, an early example of him, like, adopting a more full-bodied orchestral sound that he would go on to to utilize in the years to come but um yeah astounding fire and pyrotechnics work um kurt russell giving another melodramatic performance very similar to his work in tombstone another (laughs) stacked cast film from the 90s um he is super everything is over the top in tombstone and likewise everything is over the top in backdraft um but yeah, I've always really enjoyed Backdraft. Uh, Robert De Niro has some good scenes in here. Uh, it, again, it's all kind of like everything's all the characterization, all the themes are painted in the broadest of strokes. But it's like 
if you're gonna have Robert De Niro in there as like a I don't know an arson investigator or something, it's like this is this is about as well as you could use him. And of course, this was the movie that probably taught me that Donald Sutherland is not to be trusted. <laughs> um, like, like I always thought of him as a, as a scary guy, but I think this may have been the movie that planted that seed initially in, in my, my experience with, with film. Yeah. <laughs> He's very creepy in it. <laughs> but yeah, Brad, any thoughts on backdraft? Never seen backdraft. Um, I was, I guess a little before my time. Uh, I mean, I gotta ask, like uh, Ron Howard, good old Ronnie. I mean, I don't know about, I don't know what your thoughts are on the guy, but I, I mean, he's a bit of a jobber, if you ask me. Like he's he's who you call if you want to get the job done. You're not looking for anything too, uh, you know. You just you, we, we just we just want a regular movie. We just want a, a movie. We don't want anything too fancy. Just make a movie, all right? Just you know, Ron. We we want we want a movie we can take grandma to go see. Exactly. You know how to turn on the camera, Ron. Don't do anything flashy. Just point the camera and shoot. Yeah, I I don't know if I'd call him a a complete jobber, but like as evidenced by his work on on that uh that solo movie. I mean the ultimate I, job. That was I mean that was literally that is a jobber job. Yeah, no, he he does have some evidence of just like a hired gun. Like he in terms of like putting his creative fingerprints, his stamp on on his productions, I don't think that that's in him. Mm-hmm. Although like it almost like speaks to his personality. Because, like, I, very similar to the Munsters, I, I grew up watching Happy Days, and Richie Cunningham was, he was not the star of the show. Like, his he may have been top build, but, like, in terms of, like, stealing all the entertainment value and, like, stealing all the spotlight, he wasn't that kind of player. He was just kind of a guy. And he'd show up, and he'd do the job and go home. And I think that's generally his reputation, is that he, he literally just shows up, does the job, and goes home. He doesn't, like, think much harder on it than that. So it's not like his his pursuit of filmmaking is that of achieving high art. It's more just like, get it done. Don't piss anyone off. and <laughs> Don't lose anyone any money. Um, and to that end, he's been very, very successful. But, yeah, he does have a hired gun kind of quality to him, where it's like, I don't know why Brett Ratner is always the guy I go to oh, <laughs> when he's I a think. Jobber, all right. Yeah, when, when I he's think worse of than a jobber, he's like he's below a jobber. He's a scab. <laughs> Calling him a jobber is like a compliment to him. Yeah, I I don't know why I always think of Brett Ratner when I think of just like just get it done kind of guys, but he's he's the one that always comes to mind for whatever reason. Um, but Ron Howard, he has some decent ones in there. Like, uh, another movie that I really, uh, Kyle's been bugging me for years now to see, uh, Willow. Um, I think that may have been his first movie, if not one of his very earliest. It was early, yeah. Yeah, and that was kind of a hired gun type situation. It was one of those, that long list of could have been George Lucas movies that at the time George Lucas was too fucking lazy to go out and shoot it himself. So he's just like, hey, Ron! Uh, you want to make a movie? It's like, I don't know how to make a movie. It's like, well, it's real easy. <laughs> Trust me, I did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it got done. And, you know, some people remember it. Most people don't. But um, Cinderella Man is also one that I'll I'll defend to some extent. Um, but I, I have a connection to that movie because that was a movie I was really hyped on. Like, it is melodramatic. It is somewhat fictionalized the retelling of of the james j braddock story but at the time like i i grew up with uh boxing hall of fame books like on the shelf that i used to leave through when i was a kid uh, so when that movie was announced i was like 
I know who James Braddock is. I know what to expect, and I know what will be wrong if they get it wrong in the movie. <laughs> so I was very excited for that. Plus, I'm I'm into boxing, so that yeah. that was that movie was hard to fuck up for me anyway. But and then, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Did he uh, did he do Rush? He did do Rush. Chris? Yes, I enjoyed that. Yeah, not very many people seem to have seen it, but I enjoyed that. I mean, hey, listen, I'm not gonna say that Ryan Howard. Is not he? He's made some good films. I'll say he's made some good. He's made some. I'll say he's made some great films. But I mean, if you know, if if you've made it, if you've got a, an understanding of how to direct a movie, you know, you step up to bad enough times. Of course, every every so often you're gonna get a couple hits. You know, you go to the casino, you pl- play slots enough times. Eventually, you're gonna get some coins. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's just it's statistically impossible. To keep getting movies at this budget and this caliber and these casts and not at least have a few hits. But, I mean, come on now. No, I, I would not defend his his artistic merit. Like, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who, if, if you, like, lined up a series of films and asked someone to, like, someone who didn't know who directed any of them, like, could you pick out a Ron Howard movie? I seriously doubt anyone would be able to pass that test. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah, I'm, I, I'm goofing on. I'm just dunking on him. I he's a great guy. I, I'm, I'm hey man, goofing. don't don't goof on Richard Cunningham. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not... poor guy. He's only got hundreds of millions of dollars to console himself with. I mean, if you're gonna goof on anyone, goof on Clint. Like <laughs> at least he has a coat. <laughs> oh, I mean, I've goofed on him enough. Trust me. <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah, Clint Clint Howard is he's a treasure. Like like oh Clint that, that... oh okay. I thought, it's, I thought you meant Clint Eastwood. Oh, Eastwood. <laughs> uh, no, in, in recent days, yes, Brad has most certainly goofed on Clint Eastwood. Okay, yeah, Clint Howard. Okay, all right, all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot that. I mean, I always forget about him, all right? I mean, how how dare you? It's Clint Howard, man. That that guy, that guy, like, cast, casting directors must love that guy. It's just You're just, like, looking through headshots, and you're just like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, what happened here? Yeah. <laughs> I think he. I think he's. Uh, he's like part of the Vinegar Syndrome family too. If I'm not mistaken, he, really. I think uh, is he not in? Or unless I'm getting confused, I'm pretty sure he's in Ticks, which just came out on 4K. Oh. And he's uh, uh, I, in the Ice yeah, Cream Man, which is also another yes. Vinegar Syndrome movie. So yes, huge. Yeah. No. It, Clint. I. I. I kid Clint Howard. He's like I said. He's a treasure. Like we always appreciate seeing Clint Howard, mostly just because of the fun, like the fun game that comes with being able to say, "Oh, hey, Clint Howard." <laughs> see, I, <laughs> I like him. It's like the easiest game of Where's Waldo. <laughs> I like him because it's like he knows his place. Like, know your place, Cl- Ron. This guy thinks yeah. he's the next Spielberg. Get real. Okay, Brad. Well, that's enough about backdraft and and the Howard family. <laughs> we didn't What's even start talking thing? about Bryce Dallas. All right, don't even need I to mean, go there. Nepotism, the lady. <laughs> Her dad directs Solo, and now she's directing The Mandalorian. Oh, she is. I didn't know that. Uh, at least a couple episodes. I mean that that's convenient. I know. I just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, a little rich girl, huh? <laughs> it's like... Anyway. Um, is it to me now? Yeah. All right. I'll go with this one for my last one. Why not? Um, have you ever, uh, seen any films by the good old Harmony Corinne, Trevor? Exactly one. Oh, and I'm guessing, I would guess Spring Breakers. I, I would 
guess. No. Oh, interesting. Well, although I have heard that that's a movie that if the marketing offended you, it's probably you're probably going to get more out of it. Yeah. Um, uh, I've heard it's not bad, actually. Um, I've seen Gomo. Okay, you have seen Gomo. Oh, interesting. What what would you think? It's fucking weird, man. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely one of the great spaghetti eating scenes of all time. Um, (laughs) Fucking bath water. (laughs) That fucking bath. That tub is just like a mess. Yeah. Yeah, it I, makes you feel dirty just to think about. I've got a bit of a soft spot for Harmony Corinne. I don't okay. necessarily love everything he does, but I, I'm very intrigued by most of his films. And yeah. one movie that I did really love was The Beach Bum, which is his most recent film. And, uh, you know, it, it did feel like uh, with this one, Harmony Corinne was leaning full on into just making a comedy which felt kind of refreshing, but it still very much has his stylistic touches. Uh, the, the you know non actors, very striking non actors at times, um, and uh, I think the visuals are great. I think the cast is pretty awesome as well. And genuinely, I when I saw this in theaters, I don't remember. I don't think I've laughed at a film as in theaters as hard as, hard as I did at that one since. I mean, I was losing it watching the Beach Bum in the. I, I mean, <laughs> it was like every every joke, every gag felt like it was hitting for me, um, and uh, yeah, I just I think Harmony Corinne is a very interesting filmmaker because uh, you know he's like the antithesis of Ron Howard. Like he's this guy. He's this is not you're not taking your grandma to see this guy's movies. All right, let's be real. I mean. If you took your grandma to see Gummo, you might not be part of the family anymore. You're not coming to Thanksgiving this year, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just kind of wanted to highlight this because, you know, I, I don't think I've ever uh, talked about Harmony Corinne on any of these. Um, most of his films aren't on Blu-ray. I think only this and uh, uh, Spring Breakers have gotten Blu-ray releases. Uh, I know Gummo... I, like even the DVDs of these, I might might be out of print. Like some of these films are kind of hard to find. Um, but yeah, there's Gummo, Mister Lonely. I've seen. Uh, I think the only film of his that I haven't seen is Trash Humpers, which uh, I I do need to check out. I've heard it's one of kind of just uh, his most like nihilistic uh, films. Um, and I feel like there's another film of his I'm forgetting in between there. I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to help you with that one, but I I know Harmony Kareen by by reputation largely. Although, like I said, I have seen Gomo, so I kind of have an idea of what to expect. Like he's he's a person that's unafraid to explore some of the the uglier and more unacknowledged aspects of like of 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 the world. But finding beauty in that ugliness, and and yes, yeah. and yes, putting putting the lens like just fixating the lens on those things and not shying away from from showing them to the audience um, but yeah uh, he seems like a very interesting fella uh I, I i haven't really had much incentive like i haven't really found much reason to dive into his filmography although um it's interesting that you brought up the beach bum because i do remember hearing really really good things about it um and and it, it piqued my curiosity such that I don't know that I would dig through his entire filmography, but that's one that 
I don't know. Now, now that you've signed off on it as well, and and to say that you laughed that hard in the theater, it's like, huh? The maybe I should prioritize that one. The whole sequence with Martin Lawrence is amazing. It is so funny. I I it, I was <laughs> laughing to the point where it's like I no sounds were coming out anymore. It was just like it just, was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I'll I'll definitely have to check that one out, or at least try to keep in mind that it's like don't ignore the beach bum. It's worth your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely uh, check it out if you're a Martin Lawrence fan. I mean, it's 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 good. Martin Lawrence, man, when he's on, he's he's pretty fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Like he he, I know he's had some personal issues here and there, but like there are times when it's like, man, that was pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> like like I I don't know, maybe they 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 coaxed it out of him for the production or something, but it always makes me happy to see him put out good work because he's he's done some awesome stuff in his day. Yeah, I would assume a lot of uh, in the Beach Bum, a lot of it is kind of just improvised and ramp because a lot of it just feels kind of rambling and they're just having these conversations and you know it feels very (laughs) natural and unscripted so just kind of letting him and matthew mcconaughey just riff with each other while they're you know eating food and smoking pot in the movie i mean it's 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 a good time okay well yeah i'll I'll definitely have to check that one out can't can't speak for the rest of harmony kareen's film like filmography but but that one i have pretty much across the board heard nothing but good about mm-hmm. yeah i gotta i gotta watch gummo again i gotta gotta show the girlfriend gummo sometime <laughs> you sound like my dad uh yeah i think uh at one point he took my mom on a movie date to go see eraser head <laughs> like it was it was like uh, they very seldom had date nights at that point in their relationship it was like let's go see eraser yep. yeah yeah <laughs> it's like what the fuck <laughs> yeah sounds like me back in college too like you know you'd hang be hanging out with friends and you, they let you pick the movie and so you intentionally pick something that you knew that like everyone would hate just so you could be like look at this <laughs> 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 this is do you see look <laughs> at him eating the spaghetti in the bathtub isn't that amazing well i mean folks at home if you haven't been listening to the cinema speak podcast uh very recently uh you and uh santino I uh, had talked about watching martyrs yeah. in a group in a group setting. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that is very much par for the course when it comes to Brad's Which, that was uh, not film me. exhibitions. I, I, I've grown out of that. That was not my suggestion. <laughs> well, was it your venue though? No, it was like, it was actually we were at somebody else's place. Okay, so. okay. That was, that was totally unrelated. I think I, I was the only thing I did was say that it's on Tubi. I didn't suggest it. I didn't put it on. I just said it, it's it's on Tubi. If you well, want to you watch ushered it. it along by suggesting that it's like, oh, it doesn't appear to be available anywhere. And then Brad chimes in and says, it's actually on Tubi. It's on Tubi. It's free. You don't even need to pay for it. <laughs> but yeah, Brad is the sort that would uh, do a screening of martyrs in a group setting. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Good times. Yeah. Very good times. Uh, anyway, uh, I guess that's it for our, uh, our basket slash bucket of bees. Um, but before we go, uh, we'll we'll close things out with our customary uh, speed round, uh, where we'll just like list off our uh, our runner ups. Uh, so I guess I'll uh, start collecting mine, and whoever gets to the finish line first can exhibit their goods. I mean, I've I've only got a few. I'll go. I'll just kick it off. I'll go now. I guess. All right, Brad, have at it. Here. Go um, for it. You know, I'm, I'm a Vestron head, so I pulled out Blood Diner, 
which is just garbage. Ter- it's so bad. It's horrendous. Oh, I'm oh. sorry. But, you know, you got to do it. Number two on the spine. Boom. What's number one, by the way? Number one is Chopping Mall, which is actually oh, pretty fun. I do like Chopping Mall. That's a good Mall. one. Yeah, Chopping Yeah, Mall. I can vouch for Chopping Mall. They started Mall. pretty strong. Um, this These next two are my embarrassment uh, <laughs> because these do have better releases, and unfortunately, I bought these like cheapo discs before those deluxe editions came out. Um, first one, Blue Velvet. You know, I love David Lynch. One of my favorites of his. So I've got the regular Blu-ray. Don't have the Criterion. Maybe it'll get a 4K. So I kind of now I'm like, why should I even buy it? You know, there's a pretty good chance that'll happen. Yeah, and this one, you know, this I'm kind of sweating a little bit, getting back into alphabetization. Uh, this might be another one that uh, might not be supposed to be under B's. Curious what your thought is, and that is the Burbs. The apostrophe burbs. Uh, in the words of the immortal Mills Lane, I'll allow it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this one definitely has kept me up at night because it's like I know that it probably like the the title is a, the apostrophe burbs. Yeah. So this should like in theory, I, although I don't know, would apostrophe come before numbers or after? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know actually. If you were to put an apostrophe next to a number, I I. I wouldn't have an answer for you. That's a tough one. That's I mean, one. One is punctuation. One is a number. Like oh. this is what keeps me up at night. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I I love this movie. Joe Dante. It's Joe Dante, right? Yeah, yeah. Joe Dante. Um, watched it when I was fairly young, and it's kind of stayed with me ever since. It's just such a fun little movie. Um, yeah, Kyle, Kyle's a huge fan of that one yeah. as well. And uh, you know, it does have a Shout Factory release. Don't have that one. And then this last one is a movie from last year that was a big surprise for me, and that is Bakurao. Bakurao. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I uh, kind of went in hearing good things, had really no idea what the plot was. All I knew was that it kind of revolved around a village, and I believe it is uh, Brazil, I think, according to the back uh, here. I think, I think that's what I remember from your review of it. Yeah. And uh, I, I really didn't know what it was about, what genre it was, and I was kind of ended up getting really uh, taken along for the ride in here and having a real good time with it, not knowing where it was going. It was just a, a really uh, solid, interesting watch that, you know, obviously I might not get all the nuances because it is seems like it's, you know, commenting on a lot of politics, so I might not get all the nuances of what it's saying regarding its home country, but you can kind of take some broad themes from it. And uh, I think it works really well. Really well directed and uh, really solid. Yeah. Uh, who put out the disc, by the way? Uh, this is a Kino disc. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't know you had picked that one up. Yeah, I picked it up. Uh, uh, was it there? When did, when did I pick this up? It was what They have so many sales. I don't even know when. <laughs> it was one of their sales in the past year. <laughs> okay. All right. So like, for my speed round... Um. Okay, so I'm gonna make you barf right out the oh gate God. with some uh, DVDs. <laughs> uh, so Brad is not a big fan of the DVD format, um, and I don't blame him. It, it it's not the best to look at on an HD display. Um, but I have here a documentary by uh, Chris Bell, uh, bigger, stronger, faster on DVD. 
Uh, this is a documentary about uh, performance-enhancing drugs, um, and it, it's kind of presented in like a supersize me kind of like edutainment style. Okay. Uh, so it's like the depth of it isn't isn't like super deep as compared to some other like purely informational documentaries out there, but it, it has a strong narrative behind it. Um, interesting subject matter as well. Like some of the, it, it doesn't like have a strong argument for either side of the discussion. It tries to have its cake and eat it too, but it's a, it's an interesting premise and, and something that is continually relevant to this day. And it's a fun watch on top of that. Uh, so it's a documentary that I put on every once in a while, just for funsies. Um, of uh, Bowfinger, which is covered up by a half price books uh, price sticker, which is very hard to remove, and I don't have like a hair dryer or something to help with the adhesive removal, so I'm stuck with it. So it's like both movie, both. I'm a sucker for movies about make about making movies, and I I saw Bowfinger in the theater when it came out, and I I've always had a very soft spot for it. Um, I like Steve Martin in general. Eddie Murphy at this phase in his career was doing some really good work and just the premise is a lot of fun just just trying to make a movie without the principal actor knowing that a movie is being shot around him um and there's a lot of really fun subplots in there in particular the the mind head uh it's basically a it's like a scientology analog like the the eddie murphy character is a member of the of the foundation i head uh, headed by terrence stamp who's very well utilized in the film um, but yeah, uh, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. K I T. And then, of course, bone sickness. Oh yes, um, yes. Uh, often thought of as the worst movie a good friend of mine has ever seen. Uh, I saw this out in the wild in a secondhand store several years ago from Morbid Vision Films, and uh, I I had to have it, and I watched it, and good God, it it's. It's not good. <laughs> I, it's far from the worst movie I've ever seen, but maybe that says a lot about the kind of movies I've watched. But now, Bone Sickness is just a running gag for for me and my friend. Like I don't, I've yet to run into anyone else who's ever seen it. So, um, it's a it's a someday though in terms of like reviewing it for the show. <laughs> like I think I have threatened that in the past. Um, but to continue the DVD train, uh, I have the entire. Bloodsport Saga. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, Bloodsport 1, Bloodsport 2, Bloodsport 3, Special Edition. My God, that cover is horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> and Bloodsport 4, The Dark Kumite, a.k.a. A- uh, Bloodsport 4, The Softcore Porno. Um, they're mostly all good, honestly. Like, like Bloodsport 2 and 3 are headlined by uh, David uh, Daniel Bernhardt. Uh, who is, of course, one of the most prominent members of the 8711 stunt team these days, uh, working with Chad Stahelski, uh, basically the John Wick people, like that stunt crew. And uh, he he basically subs in for the for Van Damme for these films, and he puts in good work. And in fact, Chad Stahelski, uh, the director of the John Wick films, uh, has one of his earliest stunt roles in Bloodsport 2 and 3. Uh, as a fighter against Daniel Bernhardt. So this was the beginning of their working relationship. And now these guys are at the pinnacle of Hollywood stunt work. It's it's kind of neat to see like humble beginnings yeah. for everyone involved. Uh, so it's a treat to, to watch it now and, and be like, that's the John Wick guy? <laughs> he, he doesn't look like much. <laughs> but, but he had the moves even then. But obviously they've all come a very long way. 
Um, and then to close things out, I have the uh, the Berserk uh, movie trilogy. So that's uh, the uh, Golden Age Arc, the Egg of the King, uh, the Battle for Doldry, and the Advent, which I've always really loved this cover image. Oh, that is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, these movies are um, probably not the best representation of the story, being as it's adapted from a very long manga. Um, and in fact, they they had a, a a full anime series, like a twenty five episode series that covers all the ground, like the narrative ground that these films covered over the course of twenty five episodes. So it's a weirdly condensed version of the same story. And I do have some issues with the animation style because these days with Japanese animation and just animation in particular, it's very hard to get away from uh, utilizing computer elements. So they do this weird thing where a lot of like this takes place in a medieval European type setting and all the armor, all the rigid objects are rendered in CGI, but all the faces are hand drawn, like hand painted cells. And it's, kind of weird to look at huh. and the frame the frame rate of the cgi elements is kind of janky like like there's it feels like it's not as smooth as it ought to be and i have to imagine it has to do with like keeping costs down or expedience or something uh, it takes a long it takes unfortunately a long time to adjust to but if you can get past that the story of berserk this in particular the golden age arc is fucking awesome nice. <laughs> like like i i would highly recommend checking it out if if you're into uh i don't know like medieval dark fantasy stuff but like the appeal of this chapter of the story anyway for me personally has always been the fact that it it's like 80 percent just like medieval warfare like just like people smashing each other with swords and then like eh, like just a little bit it's just like oh shit there's like magic and like crazy monsters in here but it's like it's all hiding in the shadows, mm-hmm. and whenever whenever it inserts itself into the narrative, it, it makes it all the more jarring and like honestly kind of upsetting. <laughs> like like they get really intense with some of the shit in this spread. Oh, okay. Like it gets pretty fucking heavy. Yeah, like real real fucking dark. So right up your alley. Now we're talking. <laughs> so yeah, highly recommended. If uh, I mean, I know you'd be into this, but <laughs> to anyone out there who can can stomach some truly brutal ass medieval fantasy stuff um but yeah that's that's it for all my bees um calling it good at that but um that being said uh thank you so much for for joining me again brad uh to talk some shelf tales and whatnot yeah thanks for having me yeah of course man you're always welcome but uh before we go uh would you like to let the folks at home know where they can find you and your awesome podcast yeah yeah we're the cinema speak podcast uh you can find us on Twitter at the Cinema Speak on Instagram Cinema Speak Podcast. We're on YouTube as Cinema Speak. Um, you can listen on any podcast platform. Just search for Cinema Speak, and also on the web at cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. All right, thanks for that. And also, don't forget to check him out on the YouTube's. He's got some good shit out there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our uh, catching up on cinema content. Uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. You can also find us on the social medias at the Instagram at catchinguponcinema as well as the Twitter at catchingcinema. Uh, so feel free to hit me up at either of those. And the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, uh, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Uh, and that being said, thank you so much for joining us and uh, we will catch you next time. 